from the high desert and the great American Southwest. I bid you all good evening, good morning as the case may be, from the besieged west where the rains just keep on a-coming. Actually, they've let up a little bit, but as you know, there is disaster from northern Nevada through California, parts of Idaho, uh, Washington, the west as a matter of fact in general is at least many parts of it are underwater parts of reno casinos closed down now that's how you know when it's really serious casinos begin to close the uh, flooding has been horrendous so good morning everybody and uh, welcome to the program i've got a surprise guest for you back from egypt the author of probably about ten books, uh, certainly the uh, uh, the most recent uh, taking off like uh, a rocket ship at Peace in the Light. It's called by Danian Brinkley. Danian, uh, back from Egypt, will have quite a bit to tell us about what's going on in Egypt with all of the players. Boy, there are a lot of players. <laughs> Anyway, uh, he's a good friend. He'll be uh, with us shortly. He's probably pretty pooped. He's in Atlanta and uh, has a grueling schedule. We'll find out about his schedule here in a bit. Daniel Brinkley coming up shortly. Coming up, a man who has had two near-death experiences. Actually, I would call them death experiences, uh, at least certainly in one case. Daniel Brinkley. Well, all right. Uh, now, Daniel Brinkley lives in South Carolina, sometimes, <laughs> where he does hospice work. He does that because he's been there, he's done that. And so he tells people what it's like to die. He gives more, though, than a hundred talks a year all over the world and is working to establish the centers that are described in his new book, At Peace in the Light. Daniel Brinkley is one of the world's unusual people. Uh, he really is something else. And I think he is with us this morning, tired, but with us in uh, in in Georgia or South Carolina or someplace or another. Daniel, welcome. Uh, hi, Art. How are you? I'm just fine. Where actually are you? I am in uh, Conyers, Georgia, which is where um, everyone is seeing the Mother Mary appear in the skies. Oh, uh, yes. in Georgia. Yes, yes, yes. I thought that would be a befitting place for us to cross paths once again. Well, it is. Um, well, since you are there, um, what are you hearing about that? I mean, what's going on down there? Well, uh, literally tens of thousands of people show up here. I mean, tens of thousands from people who are having visions, uh, from a lady who is said to see the Mother Mary in the sky, who, uh, who communicates a couple of times a month with this lady. And I'm not really sure about that art. But I know that uh, thousands of people come from all over the world to fill up parking lots to see that. It's pretty amazing. Daniel, I know that you just got back from uh, 
from Egypt. You were in Egypt at a, a very critical time. Everybody thought something amazing was going to be opened around December 5th at Giza. And, I, and you were there then, weren't you? Yes. What happened? Nothing. Absolutely nothing? Nothing. You know, here's what's so really wonderful and uh, marvelous about all this, Art. Here I'm a guy. I deal with death and dying. But I had one small problem in the course of death and dying. I had that vision. You know, I'm a guy. I was struck by lightning. I uh, never believed any of this stuff, never thought about any of this stuff. I come from the deep south. You know, everyone religiously down here is going to hell because of yep. the nature of fundamentalism. Yep. And then all of a sudden I find myself in this whole new world of spirituality. One day I never believed a single word. The next day I was dead. The day after that I became everything I never believed in. So where I find myself on this lovely early days of the new year, is watching a lot of the vision come true, then finding myself quietly in the middle of it because I always ask people, how many times would they have to be killed before they started really paying attention to what was going on around them? Me, it takes a couple of times. So I guess I'm a pretty hard-headed guy. But nonetheless, my attention has been gotten. All right, the first time uh, you were you were actually... Where? You were in Georgia, you were hit by in lightning. South Carolina, so talking South Carolina. on the telephone. Uh-huh. I was hit in, hit in the neck by a bolt of lightning. It went down my spine, went through the nails of the heels of my shoes to the nails in the floor, knocked me in the air, suspended me in the air, and threw me back down. I was dead for 28 minutes, completely paralyzed for six days, partially paralyzed for uh, about eight months. It took me two years to learn to walk and feed myself. And uh, I probably lost close to 60 or about 63 pounds. So it wasn't just like a walk in the park. No. Then I was struck by lightning again in 1978 while talking on the phone, which is, wasn't really very interesting. It only knocked me unconscious for 45 minutes, and it took me about five months to get over it. Then in 1989, 14 years later, I collapsed from heart failure had to have emergency open-heart surgery. <sighs> they cut my heart out of my chest. They had to replace the aortic valve. I had my second near-death experience. And I came back again. Boy, Daniel, I feel like I should send you a portable phone. Uh, you know, Art, <laughs> I think that everyone who talks on the phone during a thunder, a storm, yes. they need more than a portable phone. <laughs> They need to understand that that is stupid. Yeah. Well, uh, I could understand once, but twice, Daniel? Twice? Well, some of us are probably far more hard-headed than others. <laughs> and apparently with good stiff uh, spines as well. Well, you know, it happens to us all. But the, key, the whole key to it, Art, is what happens in the course of this. When you take a guy who doesn't believe any of it, nothing, you know, he was born and grew up in the, in the rural South, fundamentalism rules. He grows up in the 60s. He finds himself in the Vietnam era. And then he, found, he finds himself in a, in a place where his religion is really who lived and who died. And then one day he finds himself and faces himself. And in the course of going through a near-death experience, 
I mean, floating out of my body, going through a tunnel, coming to a place of light, having what is really the most important part of the whole experience, the panoramic life review, where he faces himself. Danny, in 18 minutes the first time you were gone. 28. 28 minutes? No pulse, no respiration, no EKG. For 28 minutes? Yeah. Uh, that's really dead. I mean, that's that's not near death. That's well, dead, Daniel. Well, the admission slip into the emergency room. Patient unconscious. Patient not breathing. Patient no EKG, 17 to 56 minutes. Now, I don't know what you call that, Art, but dead. Uh, that dead. sounds pretty dead to me. Um, how did they revive you, by the way? Well, I don't really know. <laughs> I mean, you go through the standard thing where they put the um, pedals to your chest. Yep. You go through injections into your heart. But I wasn't really around for all of that. From the moment that the lightning struck me, as I watched them load me in the ambulance, as I watched them uh, work on me, try to resuscitate me, all of a sudden... When they said he's gone, a tunnel formed. I moved down that tunnel. I came into a place of bright light. I began to feel all the childlike emotions that you feel when you're a kid. I was surrounded by light, but it was as though I was going home. It was as though I had just found a place that I was returning to for the first time. But it, I knew this was home. This was a place as though... I'm back here, but I had come from this place. I think what's really important for everyone to understand is that we don't die. And once we put that into a perspective in our lives, because, you know, I write all my books are the baby boomers. To those of us as we face our own mortality, we must help those who we love and who have loved us face theirs. And what I've done is learning that and knowing that you don't die is try to help other people in my age group, baby boomers, deal with that issue. And in the course of that, from lecturing all over the world and from uh, spending every day, I'm, I'm in my 18th year as a hospice volunteer. Right. I'm in my 13th year as a nursing home volunteer and dealing with abused uh, shelters and those kinds of issues. And I'm at, I have my 153rd hospice patient or friend. So I've been with 152 people leaving this world, but I've also been with 152 families dealing with the inner dynamics of what they go through and the issues that they go through as they lose a loved one. Now, that's been like my calling. I mean, all of a sudden I found a world that terrified everyone else, but since I'd already been through it, it never terrified me. So I began to focus everything I do on helping people in my age bracket, born between 1940 and 1964, deal with those issues. Uh, Daniel, do you think there's a hell? Well, um, as a place that you choose to go to, uh, you know, either heaven or you go to hell based on some religious context, mm -hmm. I can't really say that there is, Art, because if anybody was going to hell... It would have been me. That was going to be my point. Your background was not exactly saintly. Oh, born a jerk. I mean, and by the time I was 25 years old, I had been a jerk down to an art form. And I figured if I or anyone would go to hell, it would be me, based on the nature of growing up in the Deep South. I think there is a hell, but it's designed and created by each individual. 
But do I think there's a world after this? Absolutely. Do I think that we are spiritual beings that choose to come to this world and that are chosen to come to this world? Absolutely. And, and as each person comes to this world at this particular time at, in history, in the, the nature of history as it unfolds, I believe absolutely that we are spiritual beings. We choose to come here. We're chosen to come here. We come at certain times and at certain points, and that we are doing our job to help the unfoldment of spirituality. Are we spirituality? <laughs> are we, Daniel? Are we supposed to live our lives as it is given to us? In other words, a lot of people have an awful lot of trouble in their life, uh, Dan. Uh, uh, many of them to the point where they're ready to end their lives. I had a call from a guy about three or four weeks ago, ready to commit suicide. And you know what I told him? I told him what my wife told me, that you're not supposed to do that, that um, y you have a certain thing you're supposed to live through on this earth while you're here, and it's not up to you to end it prematurely. I agree. Do you? Oh, absolutely. When a person comes to that point, you remember the next time they call and say that, Art, to tell them that Daniel Brinkley loves them very much. So that means they're loved. Number two, they chose to come here and were chosen to come here. And they have a right to leave. I mean, it's their right. When people say, you think people should commit suicide, absolutely not. Because you break your deal. I mean, you make your commitment with yourself and spirituality. But do you have a right to make that choice? Sure, you have that right. By the time you come to this earth, you are a powerful and mighty spiritual being. And you come because destiny chooses you, and you choose to make a point in destiny. And yeah, yes, it's a hard road to hoe. But, you know, what else is there to do in the universe if you have a chance to grow spiritually and to put into perspective this life? We live at a certain period of time where the world is unfolding and changing very rapidly. All the so-called institutions, religions, and governments that we've put so much trust and so much faith in are crumbling around us. They sure are. And then where do we find our strength? We find our strength in our own selves, for we have nowhere else to turn. We find our selves and we find our strength in looking at things like the near-death experience, which gives us a system by which you leave this world. I think it's really important for people born between 1940 and 1964, the baby boomers. For we are the ones responsible, as we face our own mortality, to help those who we love and who have loved us face theirs. How each of us learn to do that, and the way that we learn to do that, is uniquely our own. But yet it is uh, required that we do that. Think of this. 10,300 people turn 50 years old a day. <laughs> that means that wow. we as the baby boomer era, which are 81 million Americans, are in a place in our lives where we lose, where we're facing the loss of our loved ones, our moms, our dads, our brothers, our sisters, our uh, friends. Mm -hmm. We have to make the kind of decisions that are very, very important to them as well as ourselves. I look at religious uh, institutions and governments. I watch how they deal with those issues. I see that we're poorly prepared. What people don't really realize is in this new year, Medicaid and Medicare won't exist as we know it. There is no Social Security. 
There is no retirement fund. The government is teetering on, no matter what they say in the stock market, the government is teetering on a very precarious situation. So what we have to do is know that mom and dad will be home with us, and we have to make those kind of decisions. For me personally, I'm rather happy about all that because then the circle of life is recompleted. When when Aunt Jane was leaving this world, and our daughters and our, our, aunt, our nieces and nephews, when they came to spend time with Aunt Jane or Uncle John, and they brought them soup, and they knew that there was a beginning to life, a life, and an end to life, mm-hmm. then the circle of life was complete. What we've lost is that identity, and it puts us in a place where we always feel inadequate, we never quite have closure within a family structure, and we find ourselves relegating the responsibility of our loved one to someone we call doctor, Medicaid, Medicare, or HMO, or managed care systems. Well, let me tell you what's happened to me, Daniel. Uh, there was a time in my life when I was almost a total political animal. And I have watched politics and talked about it over the years. And in recent years, the last couple of years, Daniel, I have come to realize how really unimportant this consistent fight between the liberals and the, Demo- uh, the Democrats, the conservatives, uh, Republicans, how meaningless it really is. Uh, talk radio consumed in the last couple of weeks with the fate of Newt Gingrich one way or the other. And in the end, Daniel, um, spending a lot of time with that is utterly, totally, without redeeming meaning in other words it's going to turn out however it turns out but it's not going to change one damn thing about my life and my future uh that's up to me well i agree with you in two perspectives the first is uh what the liberals of the uh the republicans of the democrats do is uh has really no effect on what's really going on because they are the same they're the same yeah they cover each other they look after each other we move into a global psychological nature we listen to both parties and just in an election year that just passed we listen to both parties never deal with the issues that's right. balancing the budget exactly uh, uh, i mean the whole issues of what makes this a better country or what our greatest service is and who stays where and who does what we look at the world trade organization we look at nafta we look at all the issues that are going on all over the world we look at um, Bill, who is, uh, you know, you know, we Southerners always stick together, and Bill is uh, truly the epitome of Southern politics, but when you put it on a global perspective, <laughs> right. you find yourself in deep trouble. I think that what we all have to realize is that that so-called, quote-unquote, one-world position, and that there is no differentiation between Republican, Democrat, uh, liberal, uh, conservative, because it's all moving toward that uh, either coalitions or one-world position. Uh, there's no question about it. Um, Daniel, hold on. We're at the bottom of the hour. We'll be right back. My guest is Daniel Brinkley. And uh, this should be an interesting evening. As I mentioned, Daniel just got back from Egypt. We'll find out what he was doing there and what he saw and what he thinks is coming. You're listening to CBC.
Bell is taking calls on the wild card line at 702-727-1295. That's 702-727-1295. First-time callers can reach Art Bell at 702-727-1222. 702-727-1222. Now, here again, Art Bell. Once again, here I am. Good to be here, too. My guest is Daniel Brinkley. Back now to Daniel Brinkley. Daniel. Yes. All right. Uh, uh, first, Art, I think that flowers are the greatest idea that anyone can buy. Yeah. I mean, I, must, I have to kind of reiterate that because I take them to my hospice friends all the time. And I watch what flowers do for a person lying in a bed facing uh, the new world, not maybe understanding this world, but yet having to be in a position to face the next world. Ready to go to the, to the real new world order. Oh, yeah, the real true spiritual world, but flowers do make a great difference. They sure do. So I'm going to highly recommend flowers. I will order this uh, other product and see how it works since that at 46 years old I'm developing one of those Hope I can lose, not change my habit position <laughs> like it's all. So I will uh, give you a full report. I can give you a report on flowers. I will give you a report on this other product right. as soon as I order it. Excellent. All right. Um, somebody sent me a fax, and it says, uh, Art, please ask Daniel how closely the movie of Saved by the Light really followed his life. How factual was it really? Well, it was a television movie. So the factual part about whether I was a bastard growing up, I mean a really bad guy growing up, is true. Whether that um, that I changed from one person to another person based on what happened is very, very true. And the rest of it is like television movies. I mean, a person's interpretation of someone's life or the events in someone's life mm -hmm. are always different depending on how each person sees them. But what I was really proud of is it kept the issues before the public. First, you don't die. Second, we are spiritual beings. We're not poor, pitiful, stupid humans trying to have mystical lives. We're great, powerful, and mighty spiritual beings trying to have human lives. And um, mostly it was the fact that someone believed enough in the book to invest the almost two million, two and a half million dollars it took to bring it to television. And uh, that last year was the highest-rated television show in Fox's history. Is like, that right? Was it really? Yeah, it was like third-rated wow. Wow. in the history of um, movies of the week. And then this year they reran the movie. Right. I mean, and it held its own in the same time slot against Roseanne and Frazier, and it never dropped one uh, percentage point. So I think that. As close as you can possibly make in a television movie, broken into seven parts, dealing with commercials, and as much as that, I am that person. So it's pretty accurate. I'm a little smarter than that. I'm a little. I was more. I was meaner than that. And I can't say that I'm prettier than uh, Eric Roberts, but you know, I'm a little bigger than Eric Roberts. <laughs> well, one of the reasons um, I, I guess I asked you about hell was. Uh, you were pretty bad early in life, and you took others' lives, did you not? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, that, and, that, that, those were minor parts of it. Well, yeah, but still, it's a deadly sin, they say. And so if anybody's going to go to hell and not go down the old tunnel o' light, it would have been you then. No question. Uh, particularly with a strike of lightning, which, you know, would seem to be... Uh, An act of God. I, yeah. I, you yeah. know, some people are enlightened. I was enlightening. So I understand that part, Art. The whole key of it, like a lot of times, people always are looking at me as someone separate from them. If they stop and they think, how many of them have ever talked on the telephone when it was thunder and lightning? Okay, almost everybody in this listening audience will put their hand up. Right. All right, how many of them have ever done something their mother told them not to do, which is talk on the phone when it's thunder and lightning? Your mom always tells you, don't do that. Yeah. So they're talking and listening to someone who's just like them. This is what I went through. This is a very stupid to talk on the phone doing this thunder and lightning. And maybe I'm a little more, um, I was probably a little worse than most people because this is the way I grew up. I grew up fighting in the South. I grew up with machoism and who you could torture and how much you could torture them was a semblance of power or being a man. And then I entered the Vietnam era. I went off to war. And it appeared as the more damage I did, the more uh, uh, patting on the back I got, the more the behavior pattern was reinforced. Mm -hmm. And so that my whole life was centered around how much damage I could do and what I could destroy. And in the course of that, I began to realize that that was the way the world really works. As you talk about politics and those kinds of issues, the way the world truly works is we're spiritual beings. We have a destiny set for us in a spiritual manner and in a spiritual way. And that, that is the key and the center and focus of what we're doing. And as to heaven and hell, it's not that cut and dry. The most important issue that I can tell anyone listening to this part of our program is that, number one, you don't die. Number two, you will lift out of your body, you will move down a tunnel, you will come into a place of light, you will be surrounded by light, you will be met by a relative or friends, and more importantly than anything, Art, you'll have what's called the panoramic life review. That means that you will not only have a 360-degree panoramic life review, you will see and feel everything that you've ever done, you will witness it from a second-person perspective mm. as though you were an empathetic friend watching yourself go through whatever you're going through. And then you will literally become every person that you've ever encountered, and you will feel the direct results of your interaction between you and that person. A lot of times that can be hell. If Boy, I was going to say, I, I might rather go to the dentist. Hey, or... Uh, um, I wrote, you know, Daniel, I wrote a book about my life, and I had a whole chapter that I wrote on my regrets. And I'm telling you, partner, I probably don't have to tell you, because you've done it. But when you sit down to write about the bad things that you've done in your life and the people you've hurt, um, it's, it's, it's indescribably difficult, indescribably difficult. But also, too, this art. And painful. Everybody out there even you, looks at themselves when they talk about the bad things they've done. They don't look at themselves as a powerful and mighty spiritual being who chose to come to this world and who was chosen to come. 
and that you are the literal best there is. There is no one in the order, rank, or file by which it is who could come here to do a better job than you. When you put that into perspective, good and bad, evil, those kinds of conceptual psychological natures that we use in religious contexts don't apply. You look at yourself as a powerful and mighty spiritual being who set one goal or one purpose that spirit grows as well as you go, grow, and you come and do that job. I didn't, I didn't have a chance to write down the good or the bad. I became every person that I ever encountered, mm. and I felt the direct results of my interaction between me and that person. That's hell, because a lot of times you might be making fun, you might be laughing, you might be thinking you're doing a certain way, but, you know, but how it affects that person. Love thy neighbor as thyself, and do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Is not some religious jargon. It's reality. Reality. Mm. I specialize in the near-death experience. I specialize in palliative care. My lectures are about bereavement, uh, trauma recovery, and grief recovery. My books are about how to deal with those issues. But in the course of that, and that I'm in my 21st year, my seven years after my near-death experience, life takes me down many roads like it does us all. But once we look at this fact, you will not die. It will not happen. Number two, there is a methodological system by which you enter this world and by which you leave it. There is a measure of yourself and your greatness in service to the spiritual realm that most of us never get a chance to put into a context because we deal with religions, institutions, and governments. And all of us teach you, all those things teach us to be afraid. What my whole goal is, is I cannot stand for someone to die alone in this country because we are taught to be afraid of death. <clears throat> we are serving that issue. Mm. And we're taught that the world that we live in and the world that we come from is a finite place that science, archaeology, mythology has brought to a definition that is really not true. One of the toughest things I've had to deal with since going through two near-death experiences is about 75% of everything you hear is a lie. We're all taught that we are going to go to hell or purgatory or we're going to go through some kind of issue concepts that, cut, that are cut and dry issues. That's not going to happen. It will not happen. While I write my books, and I, what I try to bring across to people my age, born between 1940 and 1964, hey, guys, look, this is what happened to Daniel Brinkley. This is what he went through. He's as big a jerk as you'll ever meet, and yet you can change your life for the good. You can change your life for, from a different perspective, and you don't have to die to do that. Now, in the course of 21 years of all of that, and if those people who have read Saved by the Light or at Peace in the Light, they realize that I not only had a near-death experience, I went through a panoramic life review, I traveled through cities of light, I had a vision of what we now know to be the future. I have watched now of 117 things. I've watched 95 of them come true. And as they've come true, I've begun to really identify with the fact of the time period that I, as well as they, have chose to live in. And I think that what you do are, for all of us who stay up at night, who are pondering what to do with our children, our moms, our dads, our brothers, our sisters, our jobs, our futures, you bring a light of hope there. 
you bring a light of perspective because you are much like us. A person listening to Art Bell realizes that they're really, a lot of times, talking to themselves. So I'd like to say, hey, Art Bell, thanks for being out there. Thanks for being brave enough to talk about all the issues that all of us think about. And think about giving us alternate perspectives to who we are. Because you're like a near-death experience a lot of times to people <laughs> at 11 o'clock at night or 12 o'clock at night all over this world. Daniel, uh, then there is not judgment as we classically have understood it uh, biblically, in other words, fire and brimstone or the reward. Absolutely not. Uh, there is, however, a judgment. Uh, it's one you make of, of yourself. yourself. Oh, watch this, Art. Think that, of this. That makes sense. This is how it works. What was so amazing to me is that, you know, I expected to go to hell. I mean, it was like the first place, you know, that's what I was looking for mm -hmm. as I went through this, this program. I, although that I was surrounded by love, I was protected. I knew I was safe. From the moment you lift up of, out of your body, and this is not just Daniel Brinkley, this is everybody. From the moment you lift from your body, you're safe and protected. You realize that you're about to go home. You know the place that you're there, that you are, is more real and more closer to being safe and at home than anything you've ever experienced in your life. Mm. The greatest judgment of yourself is when I was describing the panoramic life of you. This is judgment. When you see your life pass before you, the judgment is this. When you look at yourself... And I'll put it in a religious terms because, you know, it's the best that I can do. If God couldn't come today and God sent you, what difference has God made? Not a damn thing to do with you. This is a job. We come here and we choose to come here. We choose a certain way and to serve a certain purpose. And then we go home. We were great and powerful spiritual beings before we came here. We will be great and powerful spiritual beings when we leave here. It's the quality of the job that we do every day here that makes the difference in spiritual growth for the world. And when I learned that kind of impact, and when I had to really face it, not just hear it, I had to go through it, I realized how important we are. And what a, we're not poor, pitiful, little stupid humans trying to have a mystical experience but great and powerful and mighty spiritual beings trying to have a human experience, which really changes the whole way we see ourselves. And once we start that path, we begin to open our eyes, our hearts, our minds, and our souls to change in the world. The world is at a place, Art, where if everyone who's read those books, I know I reiterate that, but the people who've read my books know that we are in a place of a fast-changing world. Between 1997 and the year 2004, the world as we know it will evolve dramatically and in some cases horrendously, but in other cases miraculously and marvelously. But we chose to be here at this time. What I try to do is say, hey guys, take a look at my life, what the books are about, what I write about, and look at the techniques I put in those books and apply them to your life and see if it's true or not. There are a thousand million people out there telling a story. Like, remember the, when we were kids, there are eight million stories in the Naked City. 
and Damien Brinkley's is just one. But what I try to do is instead of just have a near-death experience, I'm in my 18th year as a hospice volunteer. I'm in my 13th year in my nursing home business. I've been with 153 people. I know every major researcher in the world who deals with death and dying. I've known most of them for at least 10 or 15 years. Of, of those, Daniel, who do you think is really on the right track? You. <laughs> well, thanks. But there are others. Um, there certainly are others, many who are into this research. Uh, is there anybody that you would particularly cite other than me? Well, Dr. Raymond Moody, uh, Melvin Morris, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, uh, Bruce Grayson, Michael Sabon, Ken Ring, I mean, um, Paul Perry. These are people who have gone out to look at the issue. See, our issue, as we prepare for the end of Medicaid, the end of Medicare, the government not being able to support all the social programs that we have. Oh, it's coming. Oh, it's here. They're about to vote on it. You know, Art, we're good friends, so you know all the issues that Daniel Brinkley deals with. He cannot stand that people die alone. He cannot stand illusions. He doesn't like people being deceived into thinking that HMOs and managed care and those kinds of issues are something really important because they're not. They have passed away. Mom and Dad will be home. Your aunts and your uncles will be in your house. Your brothers and sisters will be home. We have to look at those issues and prepare for it. And if we do that in an open, conscious way, dealing with spirituality from what the near-death experience teaches us, we'll handle it quite well. If we don't, we will find ourselves in some of the most horrendous actions, and we will let governments, institutions, and religions dictate the control of the quality of life of our moms and dads. If I can alert my reading public, or people born between 1940 and 1964 to that, I feel like I've succeeded. And I mean, if, you're, if you were born between 1940 and 1964, you're losing a loved one. That's what you're doing, because I am living in this every day. And if you're fully prepared for it, in a spiritual sense, not in a religious sense, a medical sense, or an emotional sense, mm -hmm. but in a spiritual sense, then you are capable of dealing with it. And if you're not, you're doing an injustice to yourself and to the people you love and to the people who have loved you. Well, Daniel, it's very difficult for a lot of people to believe there's anything at all beyond the physical. It's just very difficult. They wish, they hope, they have this inner hope, but they just don't know, and many of them just frankly doubt. And to them, it's material. And you're here, and you live, and you grab what you can while you can, because when you're gone, you're gone. Well, those are dummies, okay? Not only, I used to think so adamant, Art, these are fools. But then I have to stop and think, they haven't been through what I've been through, because I would have thought the same thing. Number two, they deal with religious conceptual natures of themselves. Number three, it is reinforced by governments and then institutions. And if they begin to have to face their own lives, they have to hope there is either there is nothing after this or that if you listen to science like uh, what uh, Carl Sagan or what a lot of scientific perspectives, a lot of people who say the near-death experience is a uh, brain damage or uh, some type of shock or a neuroendorphin release or a peptide bond release or, yep, yep, yep. Uh, uh, you know, 
let's see, what's the other one? Temporal lobe seizures or frontal lobe seizures. Sure. If you believe all of that, which I myself don't discount it, I believe that there's biological and neurological shutdown. I don't have any problems about it. But most of the people who say that that's all that there is are people who, if you ask them if they believe in God or if they believe in the spiritual nature of life, they'll tell you no. Or they'll say I'm an agnostic or something. Daniel, hold on. We're at the top of the hour. Relax. You've got several minutes. Grab some coffee. We'll be back to you. My guest is Daniel Brinkley. I'm Art Bell, and this is the American CBZ Radio Network. Call Art Bell toll-free, west of the Rockies at 1-800-618-8255, 1-800-618-8255, east of the Rockies at 1-800-825-5033, 1-800-825-5033. This is the CBC Radio Network. It is. My guest has sold millions of books, millions. Daniel Brinkley, Saved by the Light. And at Peace in the Light, uh, two of his biggies at Peace in the Light doing very, very well now. He'll be back in a moment. Back now to Daniel Brinkley. And uh, I've got a fax here. It says, Art, if you recall, Gordon Michael Scallion predicted severe weather and torrential rains in the West just prior to the first major earth changes on the west coast and i know that um you too had visions it seems like people who have ndes are then suddenly privileged to information about what's going to happen and a lot of what you have said will happen has already happened what do you see coming oh i mean <clears throat> two things i see coming a lot of things that Gordon Michael says are really true. I mean, it's, this is that era, the age of cataclysm. I would have to say that much of like what the fact says, we enter a place where the world makes a change, the universe makes a change, and we in our emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual selves must make a change. Mm -hmm. All right, And with that in place, it is, the universe is changing and shifting because of the time, that period that we live in, then so must we. So I, I would have to say that much of the earth changes, but not quite as severe as I hear everyone say, but it's still going to happen. What we have to worry about, Art, is that you will be in the right place at the right time because you designed much of the life that you have before you came here. Hmm. And I promise this. The key is the quality of the life, not the external forces that will affect each of us in the next 10 years, but our internal forces dealing with the external events. What I'd like to tell my brothers and my sisters out there I mean, the people who read my books and deal with my issues and listen to your show, I hope then that we have that place, is, hey, guys, look, 
Pay attention to the inner quality of yourself, how much you love yourself and the reasons why, not how much you dislike yourself based on what some religion says or what your neighbors say or just your whole concept of yourself because you know yourself better than anyone. And when you have a panoramic life review, you'll be an expert on that. <laughs> but count your blessings. You count your blessings, what you have, and how those blessings can go outward into the world and help make it a better moment, and then becomes a better hour, then a better day, and then a better week, another month, another year. So the whole events that are going on around us, we have a lot to do with that. We as a people and a nation. All right, and the fact that when everyone tries to say, hey, guys, the earth is changing and it's going to tilt on its axis and what's going underwater, is on, what's underwater will come above and storms and hurricanes and tornadoes and all that. Well, that means it's growing, too. That means it's going through a cycle, and the earth has a right to go through a cycle of change and cataclysm as, as we see it, but maybe it's just the natural nature of the world as spirit sees it or as the earthly factors see it growing pains yeah and we're there the most issue the most important issue and i am not like a cosmic guy i'm a guy that just deals with people losing their moms and dads and how i in my everyday life is just one person from south carolina who's been dead a couple of times big deal it's how i take what i've learned and help people in my age group who I know the issues that they're dealing with and apply it to that every day. Daniel, um, let me jump to a subject here. You went to Egypt. Why? Why did you go to Egypt? Because uh, in the course of in Saved by the Light, I defined all the issues that I deal with. I put down the 12 boxes that I went through. I um, mean, the 12 spiritual levels or the 12 future systems of future events that went 28 years into the future for people who haven't read Saved. And where I, say, where I see are the things that are really bad, then I try to change them. I do my radio shows. I talk. I mean, I'm, I'm everywhere doing my lectures to try to change them. The things that I see are really good, I try to enhance them. In the course of a conversation that... I'm on a lecture tour because I'm out training people how to deal with losing their moms and dads and how to really return to the true spiritual value of them, themselves just based on my life and looking at my life and testing the theories and the things I write about in the book, in my books, and see how to deal with those. Okay, I meet a lot of people. I get to talk to them in green rooms before a television show. Sure. I get to talk to them on a lecture tour. Now, some of the people that are on those lecture tours are completely insane. <laughs> insane? Yeah, they're insane. What they're talking about is utter nonsense. <clears throat> I mean, which to me, like 95% of everything I've ever heard in my life, I think, is nonsense. Oh, yes, well. Okay. And then all of a sudden, I find this 5 or 6%. Within the course of it, because I had a vision about the history of the next 28 years, Egypt is a part of it. Egypt is the center. Egypt is that place. Uh, Peru, the Yucatan, China. The, there are certain structures and certain things in certain places that they really are those places. <laughs> you know, that's the best I know how to say it. Well, I felt that, too, about Egypt. Um, well, it shows you have as much sense as uh, 
the entire rest of the world. When did you uh, decide to go to Egypt? Well, um, I was in the 73 war in the Sinai. So that was the first time I ever went to Egypt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and no, I was I, I only meant... there because um, America needed a political settlement That's right. in dealing with that. And my particular part in life at that time was to ensure the fact that that political settlement came into being in such a way that no one knew we were the initiators of it. See how much better I've gotten at describing my job description in those days <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> than that I went and killed those suckers and I came on home. But okay. but but your most recent trip, why? Because we move into an era where everything that is our institutions, our religions, and our governments, and because so much of it's based on a lie, will crumble. And in the course of that crumbling. Because I only prepare people, prepare people to deal with losing their moms and their dads. But I listen to conversations between people that sure. go back and forth that sure. makes me be aware that there's a bigger, greater, and even more wondrous world than being dead has in it. So I went to Egypt because I believe that in the next couple of years, there will be a realization and a discovery that will be one of the keys into us changing our whole perspective of ourselves. Hmm. Our identity as a mental being, a spiritual being, physical being, and a human being. Our, our history will be affected by that, like Egypt has been doing now for 4,500 years. So I go there, and I, I'll take a group of people with me, and then it's like a light group. I try to surround it with light and put into practice all the things that I really see are the issues of, of spiritual growth. I work with kids. I, I, I take a group and we'll work with kids. We'll do a tour of Egypt, but we'll, we'll work with kids and we'll deal with hospice issues and mo those issues and try to make a difference and try to put a support of spiritual love and hope in a place that that is the center of the one of the greatest transitions in our whole existence. All right. Well, while you were there, you met with Zahi Hawass, yes, and uh, a bunch of other players. And you know the big battles, political battles that are going on between Hawass and um, uh, so many Egyptologists. And Graham Hancock yeah, that's and right. Robert Bouval right. And, yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, and you sort of, in a way, got into the middle of that. I didn't sort of, in a way, Art. You know me better than that. <laughs> when I listened to all the the conversations that went on, and in just one brief moment, I listened to a conversation, and someone started talking about the Edgar Casey predictions. Right. And I have a future scenarios that I myself saw when I went through my first near-death experience. What now, did you see? Well, I saw that the world would begin to change very rapidly in the Middle East and that Egypt played a key part, and if Egypt was lost to the fundamentalistic Islamic position, mm -hmm. then that would create a point that our whole history and culture would change at that moment. And this was in a vision. I write about it in the book, 21 years old, and it would be a certain place. I need for that, that not to happen. I need to protect Egypt from the fact that the fundamentalist issues 
by based on what's going on with uh, issues with Graham Hancock and Robert Baral and uh, John Anthony West and the Egyptian uh, antiquities and Dr. Hawass and just all the people in that, that that is the single event that could polarize Islamic cultures from Iranian or Iraqis to Afghanistan is to whatever it is. It's not going so well right now. Uh, a lot of letter bombs have been showing up in the last few days. Um, generally postmarked Alexandria in Egypt uh, arriving in this country. So I'm not sure that we could suggest that terrorism and that troubles from the Middle East and that an eventual clash with that culture is not going to occur. What do you think? Well, I can tell you it's going to occur. I mean, that's the whole nature of the existence of where we are. I mean, we, the fundamental natures of religions are now there. I mean, that's what we'll deal with, Bosnia. Bosnia was the Islamic culture against the, Bos the Bosnian uh, Muslims against the uh, Serbians, which are Orthodox Christians. It was a religious war. All that's going to come about. I wrote about all that in the book. But in where we are in dealing with Egypt, Egypt and Dr. Hawass and all the, the wars, the mail from Alexandria, all that stuff tells us that what I just said is really true, Art. These, these men each have a valid position because I've listened and i talked to them because I deal with death and dying. What is so symbolic to me is that Egypt is where death is a part of life. Mm-hmm. And they say they built the pyramids and the sinks were all built as tombs. Well, that's really not true. I mean, that's just really not true. What do you think the purpose of the pyramids and the sphinx are? Well, I think the purpose were, um, I think the purpose was to let us know that there was someone here before we grew into the civilized culture that we are that there was a culture that existed that was as advanced and that it came into existence. And these are symbols left for us to identify because Egypt, China, the Yucatan, South America all have these, these places, these pyramids, this type of construction and its observatories and its place. What I'm trying to do is as I went to Egypt, because they, the story was that I go on Thanksgiving, and uh, the story was that a great event was supposed to transpire. Mm -hmm. And the opening of the halls of records and the great Casey predictions, and um, uh, some guy was going to hum, and the great secret passage would open. Well, I was there. It this, didn't happen. It didn't happen. Now, we had Richard Hoagland on the program, and he maintains that his sources say somebody found some kind of black, a statue of a black man holding an onk, it was said, toward Orion. You're saying, uh-uh, you were there, didn't happen. I'm saying, uh-uh, didn't happen. And I, like, I know Richard Hoagland. I mean, he's a great guy. Good people. He's out there just like everyone else is, trying to really find the truth. And he deals with Mars and the whole Orion, right. the fixtures and all of that. But I was there. If that didn't happen, I was there.
All right. What did uh, Zahi Hawass say about the opening of anything, uh, anytime? What is coming? Does he have any plans uh, for 97? Well, I can tell you this. He's in a place where, after all the mudslinging and all the everybody having a certain type, type of cynical perspective toward each other, I see the Internet art. I see that that's going on. Uh, as I met with him and talked with him, I realized that here's a, uh, a pretty nice guy. He's under a lot of pressure because he is the head of the plateau, the Giza Plateau, where every day there's a new discovery. Every single day there's a new discovery. Restoring the Sphinx is the issues, all of the issues. And just like uh, John Anthony West, a valid position. Well, I believe that what they're trying to do in the in the world of where the pyramids are is to restore them and to uncover what they can in a certain way. I mean, uncover it with the amount of funds that are available sure. and dealing with all the issues and everything that they have to deal with in that part of the world as Egyptians. And not any great endeavor, you know, not to open something at a certain period of time, it be a movie made of it, all the things that we keep hearing, but chugging along every day. Now, we heard there was a Fox TV crew or a crew sponsored by Mr. Shore and company that was supposed to be filming some sort of opening. Were they over there? No. No. No, listen, Hart, this is fun for me. Watch. One day, because I had a, my vision and what I went through, coincides with what I'm seeing happening 21 years later. Somehow, I find myself in the middle of all of this. I talked to John Anthony West and Graham Hancock. I've talked to Dr. Hawass. I've talked to everybody there. And that didn't happen. It didn't happen because I was there. And I got a chance to look at each thing and look at each issue. Now, I'm not uh, disputing uh, what Richard is saying. I'm disputing what his sources are saying. Mm -hmm. I understand. I was there. It's true. He didn't see it. He yeah, got this. He his sources. That's I, right. I dispute Richard's sources because I was there. I find that every one of these people have a bona fide contention. Everyone has a very valid place, Art, that they, as I talk to them, and I don't know and really understand how I can call every one of them on the phone and ask them the questions and say, hey, look, the spiritual world must take the high ground. If these sacred chambers and sacred places are there, which Casey says, Nostradamus says, I mean, everybody on any street corner with, uh, with some hippie beads on says, you know, everyone is saying, then I, I think that we must take the high ground. Because if your job is to unfold it and your position is whether it's Egyptology, whether it's uh, astronomy or astrology or whether it's UFOs or whether it's extraterrestrial or whatever it is, there must be a conscious level of this perspective. All right. I know, I, we're, we're at the bottom of the hour, so we've got a break here. I know you got to actually walk into some of the chambers. Everyone. Of them. All of them. Yeah, I, I wanna, just I, came home from there. I really, really want to ask you about that, so stay right there. As you know, I'm going to Egypt with many of you next October 1st. 
And so in a moment, we'll get Daniel, uh, uh, Daniel's uh, impressions as he did it. Taking calls on the wild card line at 702-727-1295. That's 702-727-1295. First-time callers can reach Art Bell at 702-727-1222. 702-727-1222. Now, here again, Art Bell. Once again, here I am. My guest is Daniel Brinkley. He'll be right back. Back now to Daniel Brinkley. Daniel, uh, somehow you got along where others have not with uh, Zahi Hawass. Yes. Uh, at least after a little bit of uh, chatting with him, I guess. Yes. And he then allowed you to go where you wanted to go. Yes. Um, so in a second, I want to get that, that impression. First, though, I, I want to clarify something. Richard Hoagland originally expected an opening on... Uh, December 5th. He said, in fact, there was a secret opening October 20th. That's the one he talked about. But you were there also then, weren't you? Yes. I was. No, I wasn't in October. Not in October? No. I was there uh, through this last experience when everyone says there was going to be a great opening of a chamber and right. all of that business. But, you know, here's where we are in this art. I think the e Egyptian issue is so very important that I decided to take a look at it. I met Dr. Hawass, and I talked to him, and I uh, looked at the issues, and I said, look, what's going on is a lot of guys who have bona fide contention and positions in this, everybody, I mean, looking at Richard, looking at everyone's point, knowing that uh, there are a lot of issues uh, at hand, that I wanted to be able to see and know for myself. I didn't have any problems going to look at anything I wanted to look at. I, I've only been looking at this issue for the last couple of years. But I got to look at tunnels and every place and every insight. I got to look in the sinks and look at the chambers, anywhere I wanted to go. I got to look at records. I got to look at anything that I needed to look at and ask questions. Then I, I, I found him to be not the Antichrist, but a person that's responsible for the Egyptian uh, for the plateau of Giza, right, and working this, working this stuff. I mean, day and night with new discoveries, every kind of way. And yeah, uh, you know, everybody has their own personalities. All right. Uh, when you were in there, yeah. What, what can you, if you can describe to us, what were your senses feeling? What did you feel? Oh, anyone who does not go with Art Bell to Egypt is insane. <laughs> I'll go ahead and tell you that. We are living in a time that the whole world as we know it will all of a sudden change overnight. It's not earth changes as much as our spiritual inner selves by the discoveries that will be in the Yucatan, in Peru, in Egypt, and in China. 
The Chinese issues are blocked from us. They're blocked from us, just like At the dealing moment, with Tibet yes. and mm -hmm. dealing with all those issues in China. It's blocked from us. Egypt is there, where, where these records and these halls of records and this great story that we've been hearing for years, they are truly there. There is no question. What do you think is going to be found? I know what I know that we will find a system. I know at least one chamber, but I believe more than that. That are the records of our civilization, who we are, where we came from, how we came into existence. I believe that it will prove that so much of what religions and institutions and governments have always taught us, and they knowing this, knowing that what they're saying is not true, that's the hardest part, that all of a sudden, in one discovery, that will pass away. We will know who we are, where we came from, what we're about, in a cultural history of five million years as opposed to uh, 5,000 years. I think that will rattle the Egyptian world, the Egyptian government. That will rattle the whole universe. That will rattle the whole Christian world. Oh, no, it will take it to thunder. I mean, it will, you know, they, they kept the Dead Sea Scrolls hidden. Okay, so right. now they're going to have to deal with the fact that people dig stuff up every day. I mean, I spent two, I go to Egypt on Thanksgiving because it's a holiday in America where you give thanks. And that psychology gives me a certain perspective of giving thanks and protecting those places and events that I know need protecting because of the wave of Islam. Now, Dr. Harwas, who I only met, who everything everyone told me about him, I didn't find any of it true. I found someone under a lot of stress and pressure because he's responsible for a budget like any person in the bureaucracy responsible for a budget has to focus on certain issues. I haven't found any of these great conspiratorial things that I hear, but that doesn't mean it's not there. What's important is what is there, is that in the next couple of years, we will come to a spiritual place, and the people that we're dealing with are, these are men, just like you and I, they're just men. They're spiritual beings living out this scenario, trying to protect in their own way what the real truth is. And as that comes about, what I did with my bigoty self, I walked right into the middle of it because I feel I have a responsibility as just one man who knows there's a life after death, who knows that there are great spiritual secrets and uh, physical secrets and mental secrets about we and who we are, our destiny and where we came from, that everything we've heard before now is a lie. It's protecting and bringing about in a way of the high road with spiritual people and their endeavors to make it a better world. If that's what they're trying to do, then a lot of the issues that are going on are unnecessary. So I've been talking to everybody. I was there. There are things being discovered every day. Every day. Well, um... You think, though, there lies ahead at some point in the next several years a discovery virtually of what is known as the Hall of Records? Absolutely, unequivocally, without any question, no doubt about it. Is the Hall of Records there? Absolutely, unequivocally, no doubt about it. Z does Zahi Hawass believe that as well? Uh, no. Doesn't no. believe it at all. He doesn't believe it at all. 
No. But is he open to exploring it? Absolutely. Is he open in, is he open to the point of where as an Egyptologist trained, archaeologist, all the things that you inherently have put in you growing up and being educated. But is he still open? Yes. And will he still look at any issue? Yes. Because he let me. Is he going to make peace with his sworn enemies? Well, that's up to all of them. But I'll tell you this. I will be in the middle of it, Art Bell. I will sit in the middle of it, and I will take just who Daniel Brinkley is and negotiate for all parties in an honest, open way. I've been talking to each of these people, and I, I can call them on the phone, and they all know me, you know, because we've met cross paths, and they understand my issues. Mine is palliative care. Mine is looking after your mom and dad every day and how to do it. Yeah, listen, while we're on that subject, I've got email here. Uh, it oh, says, somebody else wants to talk to him? Oh, yeah. Art, I've been trying to reach Mr. Brinkley for a very long time with regard to his centers. I very much need to contact him. Uh, can you give people a way to contact you? Sure. Write me at Post Office Box 1919, Aiken, A-I-K-E-N, South Carolina, 29802. The centers, this was a vision. It was a vision that I had when I wrote about it in Saved by the Light. I would have completed the first center by now, and I would be using it, and does it work? Yes. And does it have a system within it that helps people touch that spiritual self within them, just like the vision promised to me? Yes. And will I go forth in the next couple of years and try to create a place so that each of these centers can be put wherever spirit chooses to be put? Yes. So if people write me, then I put them on a mailing list as best I can. You know, I went to the last time I told people to write me on the Art Bell show. <laughs> yes, I know. Uh, and so to everybody out there who did write me, uh, your books are there. They got their books. And uh, thanks, Art. But if people write me, I will send them the information. It's the same as, you know, I still have a few books left. But write me. You know, and okay, give the address again. One it's, uh, more Daniel Brinkley, mm -hmm. Post Office Box 1919, Aiken, A I K E N, South Carolina 29802. Okay, uh, and, and just write me, and anything that I can do, and where the centers are, I'll make sure that the information gets back to you. All right, there are those who uh, are listening tonight, I'm sure, who will interpret some of what you've said to be an attack on religion. Um, Good. Is that strictly what it is, or are you just uh, uh, you are really accusing those teachers of lying? Well, because they're not telling the truth. That that's called a lie. <laughs> <laughs> because watch, Art, I've only been dead a couple of times. I'm a guy from South Carolina. I look at stuff pretty down to earth, and I have a way about looking at it. That you can't, you know, I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. And here I find myself, at 46 years old, in the midst of a series of events that determines the destiny of literally, if you believe the Casey readings, the coming of God. A lot of the issues that we're discussing is how old the Sphinx is, whether it's 4,500 years old as Egypt and history created by 
whoever created the Egyptian history, which is a combination of everyone's opinion, or whether it is uh, 12,000 or 14,000 years old, like Edgar Cayce said it was in 1932 and 1933, and that people like John Anthony West has done their studies and a lot of people and a lot of hard work come to conclude that it is what Edgar Cayce says, but that it is older than uh, Egyptology says. But, Daniel, uh no matter which it is, from being there, your sense is that whatever's there is very important for humanity. But if knowing the truth is important to humanity, unequivocally art, and the truth is there, there's no question. It's also somewhere in the Yucatan and in China. So we have two places that we can, in the coming of the next series of years, which I write about in my books, I talk about every day, that we have a chance to protect, preserve, and to bring to a forum mm -hmm. where the world looks at it, to comp set compromises and negotiations between all these parties, to come to some forum and to sit and discuss it and debate it in the issues without all this petty crap in it, and let the world decide. That's what I'd like. That's what I'm trying to do. All right. Um, I and is it an attack against religion? I'm not re attacking religion. Not strictly so. I'm dealing with reality as I know it. That's all I'm doing. And uh, let me ask you this, Daniel. You have had your experience twice, actually. Yeah, 14 years apart. Once 14 at 25 years apart. and once at 40. The only question I guess I would have is, how could you be sure, Daniel, that it would be the same for everybody? Well, let's see. It is the same for everybody, and I'm sure. I'm sure of that because I look at it. I've been dealing with this issue for 21 years, 46 years old. I know every major researcher in the world personally. Mm-hmm. I listen and have conversations with them, Raymond Moody, uh, Ken Ring, uh, Melvin Morris, Bruce Grayson, you know, uh, I mean, I talk to everybody. I've um, been in about, in over 10 countries and talked to more than 600 people who've had near-death experiences looking at it from every cultural uh, situation. And I've been with 152 people leaving this world. Forty died in my own arms. One of them was my own mother, and a lot of and three other family members. So when I sit quietly and talk about the issue of death, I know this is how you leave this world. This is how you do it, and it doesn't really matter what anybody else says or what they think or what they believe. They will leave this world the same way. They will have the near-death experience, and they shall travel home safe and protected in a way that is only the honor of great champions returning home. Do you believe in reincarnation? Um, I don't really know if I do or not, because in my two near-death experiences, I had absolutely nothing that would give me any support to the fact of reincarnation. But once again, Art, on the tour, being the inquisitive old dumb country boy that I am, I have listened to Brian Weiss, Winifred Lucas, uh, the pioneers of uh, regression therapy, mm -hmm. and I've listened to them. 
and I've talked to people that were people who, through regression therapy, found out that they had had a past life, and by realizing what happened in that past life, have been able to get rid of emotional problems, psychological problems, deal with issues, and face life better. So when you look at regression therapy as a theoretic modality for helping a person deal with emotional issues, and then you realize that it's based on that they had a life before this one or one before that, and by helping seeing that significance in it, that that person's life changes. You know what? I can't help wondering, uh, Daniel. Uh, people are regressed in what appear to be other lives. Sometimes I wonder, though, if they are not simply regressing into the inner sanctum of their own mind and attributing those things that need to be treated and brought out to another life, and they are indeed helped as a psychiatrist would help anybody. I would agree that a lot of times that's the exact answer. I mean, I would agree with you, Hart. That's the answer a lot of times. But when you can listen to a lady like a lady I met, and I check stories out. You know, I listen to what people say. I pay attention to it. When you can, uh, when it's documented that from a child you you kept going through a problem because you lost your children, and what happened when you lost your children, and this is someone who starts like six or eight years old and goes through it till they're 32 or three years old, married with children, and still having this same recurring problem. Right, right. No, listen, I hear you, and there's another body of evidence. I, I for example, interviewed Dr. Bruce Goldberg, and he can document things that people have related about past lives that have been independently checked and verified. Like this lady, she could name all the names of her yeah. children, where she go. lived, the house she lived in. There you go. When she lived in it 110 years ago, you go and you go to the uh, a cemetery in this small town in Ireland. Everybody there is buried there. She's never been there. You know, you and she's an everyday housewife and yep. this kind of stuff. So what I look at is I say a lot of times the things that you're describing are really what happens. But then there are these specific cases that, you know, how much evidence do you have to have to form a conclusion about it? And so when we talk about reincarnation, I have to begin to look and explore that as Daniel Brinkley. I know about death, and I know about dying, and I know how you deal with issues facing those, and I write books about that. Well, as the late great Dr. Sagan said, though, uh, Daniel... You... Yeah, but he had him a near-death experience just recently, though, hard. Uh, well, uh, I wonder what he would say now. <laughs> I wonder what he would say now. Uh, yeah. It is true. I, I too, uh, wish we could get a, a, a one-hour, um, a sort of uh, afterlife speech from Dr. Sagan. Wouldn't that be something? God, I would love it. But he said uh, while he was here that extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Do you think there is extraordinary evidence that Dr. Sagan uh, lives on now? Absolutely. And do I do I have think there's extraordinary evidence that we will live on? Yes, absolutely. But do I think there's extraordinary evidence that about ninety percent of what he said now he described how the world works and how old we are as a civilization is true? Absolutely not. No. <laughs> okay, so the fun part is we live in the most golden time with the greatest opportunity that anyone could ever, ever deal with or we live in a time where because that our fears of death and our fears of change and understanding our own spirituality 
our spirituality, not our religious factor. Mm -hmm. We can put ourselves in such a controlled place to give up our freedoms and our rights that if we don't educate ourselves, we're making a, a really terrible mistake. That's why I think people should listen to Art Bell buy from his sponsors. <laughs> because <laughs> Thanks. Listen, a lot of people will say, though, Daniel Brinkley, hmm, um, all you got to do is read the Bible, and uh, you'll know what the real truth is. And Dan <laughs> Daniel Brinkley is just spouting a whole bunch of New Age gibberish. There yeah. will be those who say that, Daniel. I support their right to do that, though, Art. They have that right. I mean, a lot of people are trying to hold on to the old, and there's nothing wrong with that because of safety and comfort. Hmm. But there's so many things that we're holding on to that has passed away already. It's passed away. And I, w I support anyone's way at which they find God within themselves. I mean, I'm not against any religion. I'm against fanaticism. Mm -hmm. I'm against those kinds of issues. And what a person thinks about what I say and dealing with what I talk about, that's their right. But if they let those rights that they have flow over into the quality of the lives of their moms and dads and brothers and sisters in their final days, they'll deal with me. Yeah, there's a lot of people who are getting ready to deal with that exact problem, Dan. Right. And hold on, we'll be back to you uh, after the break uh, here at the top of the hour. So if you would, everybody, stay exactly where you are while we resurrect a little bit of different bumper music. Here it comes. You're listening to the CBC Radio Network. toll-free, west of the Rockies at 1-800-618-8255, 1-800-618-8255, east of the Rockies at 1-800-825-5033, 1-800-825-5033, this is the CBC Radio Network. That's what it is, my guest is Danian Brinkley, and he'll be right back, and we're going to go to the phones here. In a moment, so if you have questions for Danian, dial now. Back now to Danian Brinkley. Danian? Hi, Art. Hi. Um, Art, do you mean that no one wanted to talk to us tonight so far? Oh, no. The line's been full since we went on the air, Daniel. Okay, just checking. I wanted to make sure that people still love me and knew that I loved them. Just checking. <laughs> now, let me ask you one more question, Art. Sure. Uh, a Fox film crew on site at the uh, on the Giza Plateau. Yes. When was that supposed to have happened? Well, we heard December 5th. Okay. Uh, once again, originally Richard Hoagland thought December 5th would be the opening. Well, uh, he, there. But he came on later and said, no, there was a secret opening on October 20th. Okay, I'm going to ask uh, Dr. Hawass 
that question. Oh, I, I think I know what he'll say. Well, but I'll also ask the, you know, I can ask a lot of other people that question that work around him. It doesn't matter. I'm going to ask that question. All right. Okay, now let me ask you something, Art. Sure. Let's say that I can negotiate a position between all of these people to sit down in a forum and to let everyone, you know, just like you have to negotiate between all issues, that I can create a place that all these people can come together and really bring those issues out and really hash them out in an open forum that the world gets to see and decide instead of like all of us trying to figure it out. Would you be a part of being an MC or helping put that together? Yes. Thank you very much. I would be happy to be. Okay, well then, you just got recruited. <laughs> and uh, So, everybody, you heard him say it. Yeah, you heard him say it. I, I absolutely am willing to uh, to do Thanks, that. Thanks, All right, Daniel, uh, here come some phone calls. Uh, east of the Rockies, you're on the air with Daniel Brinkley. Good morning. Where are you, please? I'm in uh, Columbia, South Carolina. Columbia, South Carolina. You're close to Daniel. Oh. Yeah, uh, very close. I'd like to ask him a question. All right. Okay. Um, you said that there will be great changes in the next few years. Right. And uh, do, you, do you foresee uh, foresee first contact? Anything like that? Well, by 204, all of that will have been become a natural part of our existence. So I would have to say that, without any question, it would have to occur in the next couple of years that by the year 204 that we are not alone would become uh, a very common day, a very common issue. And uh, let me give a piece of background on that. I don't know about UFOs. I mean, I deal with death and dying. But from listening to a lot of people talk who I sit in green rooms and shows and I listen to them and what you hear backstage before you go on the air is a whole lot of different conversation than most of the time you hear when you're on the air. I've heard astronauts talk about pictures that they've taken. I mean, very famous people who were in Apollo's mission describe seeing extraterrestrial life or, or uh, evidence of it or took pictures of these craft. You've heard astronauts? Oh, absolutely, unequipped without any question. So... And when you look at the t Hubble telescope's recent pictures, mm. and you realize that they just took a picture of the universe right next to ours that has 4.3 billion planets and 300 million suns larger than ours, and if you tried to travel across that, it would take, moving at the speed of light, which is 182,000 miles per second, it would take 10,700,000 years. If you calculate 182,000 miles per second, and you look at it over a year, mm -hmm. that's a, like six trillion miles. And it would take 10,700,000 years. So for me, as I listen to these astronauts, I listen to, uh, I listen to what the Hubble telescope brings about, and I listen to what people are talking about in those issues. I would have to say without any question that this uh, will be possible and will be in the next couple of years. I believe it. Um, caller... okay, I'll tell you something else. On the Fox television, they had what was called the alien autopsies, yep. which you would think was a tabloid event. Yep. I sat and watched this, and I watched it, and then I went and bought a copy of it, and I probably watched it 20 times. Huh. I think it's the single most 
incredible piece of new 22 minutes of film in the history of mankind. Well, there's been a lot of complaints about it, Daniel, but I'll tell you something. Nobody has yet disproven it. See, I don't even care about that art. I watched it myself, and I looked at it. I took it to a dermatologist, and I said, look at this. Tell me, because I, just as Daniel Brinkley, like I said, only been dead a couple of times. <laughs> that was the most amazing single piece of footage that in my whole lifetime, so I've watched it now like 50 times, that was the most amazing single piece of information out that I gathered alive, <laughs> you know, that I learned about alive, and I don't care what people say. Caller, anything else? Uh, do you suppose this um, hail bomb would have anything, would uh, become a big event? The uh, hail bomb comet he refers to, uh, uh, Daniel. Well, if you look at the Hopi Indians, you look at what the Hopi Indian tradition and prophecy. When you die a couple of times, you really start looking at those issues. You look at the Hopi Indian and the Native American culture, then this comment signifies a very important event in the transition of spirituality, uh, or the second coming, or the end of the world as we know it. And so, if in the Hopi and the Native American tradition, yes, I think it's significant within the context of the fact that we all are growing. This is that time. This is that chosen time for growth, expansion, condemnation, control, or subservience. So, sure, it is just one more of the keys and factors that each person identifies spiritually that this is that time. All right. Uh, first, nice talking to someone from the homeland. Too. Yes, indeed. First time caller line. You're on the air with Daniel Brinkley. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Where are you, sir? Uh, this is Bill in Auburn, Washington. Yes, Bill. Hi, Hi Bill. Bill. Great show. I've enjoyed it, and I blame you for my baggy eyes and bloodshot eyes. <laughs> but it's worth Thank it. You. I just wanted to make one comment. Uh, you were talking about Richard Hoagland and the uh, the opening that was supposed to be done on October the 20th. Yes. October the 5th. 9.30 a.m. No, that was December 5th or October 20th, depending on which one. Okay. October the 20th. Right. But that was at the Great Pyramid. Right, that's right. That's right. And it was the little uh, air shaft? Yes. So they sent the little caterpillar up. That's right, the robot, the one that... Right. Had, yes. Mm -hmm. So there was nothing went on in the Sphinx, period. Right. That was it. Oh, okay. And that was all I had to say. All right. Thanks I, again. I appreciate it, my friend. Thank you very much uh, for the call. Thanks, Bill. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Daniel Brinkley. Good morning. Yes, hi. This is um, Sean from New Mexico. Hi, Sean. That's the first time I ever got through, so I'm kind of surprised. But um, Hi, Sean. Hi, how you doing? Um, I'm glad that you got through when it was me. Yes, yes, sir. I'd like to ask you a question. Um, how long were your to the total... Um, how long was the total time you were dead? How long How long did that um, last? 28 minutes the was, first time. Oh, how about all together? Well, 28 minutes the first time. Okay, just the first time. Okay, now the second time, which was open heart surgery, I really don't know how you constitute dead, but uh, I was on the machine for 68 minutes. What I mean is how long were you were in that other existence, sir? Well, when you look at it in this time frame, Sean, all right, it was 28 minutes. No pulse, no respiration, no EKG for 28 minutes. How long I was on that other side was 28 years. 28 years, huh? Because what I went through in the course of passing through the panoramic life review, lifting out of my body, 
and going to the what's the Crystal Cities. I write about it, Saved by the Light, and at Peace in the Light. Right. And I I went 28 years into the future. At that time, Sean, I didn't know it was the future. I never believed any of the things that Art Bell talks about on his shows right. before then. Well, I would have thought this was just the biggest bunch of crap I had ever heard. Right. Did you ever see? Did you see um, God or no or Jesus Christ? No. No. But I saw great and powerful spiritual beings that if, that a person, when you had to look at a religious perspective, mm -hmm. I could see how, as I've looked through the years, Muhammad, Jesus Christ, Buddha, Allah, right. I've heard every uh, every different religious or uh, cultural persuasion have a different name. Right. But what I saw was a being of light, beautiful, powerful spiritual beings of light. Mm -hmm. Now, did I see God? No. But did I see where God lives? Yes. And am I excited about when I will get to return there? Yes. Well, I, you know, I'm I'm a born-again Christian. Thank God. I'm a firm believer in the Bible. Thank God. And I am a man full of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit thank God. of the living God. And um, that ch totally changed my life around. Well, then so, thank God. Yeah, and the Bible says no man can go to heaven without being washed in the blood of Jesus, without repenting of their sins and confessing of their sins. Mm -hmm. Now, I know oh. that to be true. I don't, you know, I, I'm not saying that I don't understand your vision or anything, but I would just like to tell you that's what the Bible says. Right. And I'm well, a firm believer in the Bible. It wasn't, it was only for the salvation of Jesus Christ that my life was turned around. But that's shown for you. Well, that, that's, see, that's the thing. But the Bible, see, is the Word of God. Well, but listen, we can't so, go around making up it. our own things, you know. That wait, 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 John. Right. Sure. The Bible is constructed of 66 books in one place, which is the Protestant position, and 72 books in the Catholic position. Right. It came about in the Edict of Nicaea in 325 A.D. in Constantinople. Right. There were a thousand manuscripts. And there were about 800 theologians right. who came together mm -hmm. and who voted on what books went into the Bible and what of the other, there's 72, 66, there were another thousand manuscripts or books that could have been put into the Bible and they were voted on. Right. Now, this is documented. I agree that okay. a lot of so, things were changed by men. No, yeah. no, not saying that they were changed by man. I'm not taken away by that, because right. what I'm trying to say is, is that the blood of Jesus Christ and the symbolic nature of that spirit right. through the Christ consciousness, mm -hmm. through the consciousness that is the Christ, that changed your life, right. I support that with all my heart and my soul. No, it was Jesus Christ himself. It well, was, it was for him. me, it was a bolt of lightning. Right. Well, that's what killed you, I guess, right? Yeah. For, see, for me, it was a bolt of lightning. Right. And what that bolt of lightning did brought me to do hospice there, work. There really is a hell. Um, All right, there you go. There really is a hell, Daniel. Yeah. Well, if let me tell you from a, a, a personal side. If I had a God that had saved my soul... And there was an enemy of that God, and they call that enemy Satan, and that enemy is in hell. Then I would look forward to going to hell, because if my God, who had saved my soul, had an enemy, and wherever that enemy was, 
I, in my tradition, my tradition would engage the enemy of that God. So if there is a hell, I will look forward to that day because then I get to engage the enemy of my God. But I believe, just a little different from that, but nonetheless, we all have our rights to believe in our own way. And I am glad that God, in whatever method that God chose or spirit chose to enter your life, Sean, I am glad for the change. For me, it was a bolt of lightning that killed me. So born again in the symbolic nature of where you are, born again. For me, born again. My religion is hospice work. I sit and be with people as they prepare to make their transition from this world to the next one. And wherever two or more gathered in thy name, so shall thou be among us. Now that must be hard work. Well, it is the most rewarding work that I can find to do because if I have been through this, I've gone through it. I'm not afraid of death. I know the wonders and the the glories of it. And if I have been through this, and I wasn't out here every day writing books about it and talking about it and lecturing about it, trying to help those of us born between 1940 and 1964 deal with that loss, then who am I? So for Sean, the Bible is a great book, but the spiritual advancement and the growth each of us determine our own way. And yeah, there's a hell. It's a hell when you have to face yourself knowing what you are capable of doing and then not doing it, which is something we all change and face each day. That's right. All right. Uh, first time caller line, you're on the air with Daniel Brinkley. Good morning. Good morning, and thank you so much for the work you're doing. Sure. Uh, I, I appreciate your ventilating some of these issues uh, with some sunlight. Uh, there is, I'm uh, Adam, I'm from L.A., uh, KABC. Yes, sir. Hi, Adam. Hi. Very briefly, if you'll permit me, there's a there's kind of a basic issue confronting the uh, KABC listeners where we're missing your first hour. Yes. And um, today I talked to some people at, at KABC, and I, if you'll permit me, I have the name and the business address of the uh, program director, if anybody, they say they respond to input. Uh, what they're talking about doing right now is time-shifting your program. So we'll hear it from the beginning, but we won't be able to call in. Can I give the name and address? The yeah, I'll call, call them right now. <laughs> okay. Uh, is that okay with you? Uh, go ahead, sir. Okay. Uh, it's either uh, at KABC, um, program director is either Dave Cook or Andrew Ludlum, the business number is 310-840-4900, and the P.O. Box is 790, Los Angeles 90016. And on your last um, call, I don't want to get into quoting Scripture, but I found Isaiah 45.7 real interesting, where he basically says, I am the Lord of the light and of the darkness. I create the whole show. And I found uh, the Gospel according to Thomas in the Coptic uh Work very very illuminating. Yeah, and and, yeah, and the work of George Lawson. But I want to thank you again so much for what you're doing. God bless you. All right, thank you. Thank uh, you. Thank you very much. You have such wonderful people who listen to your show, Art. Oh, uh, we do. Uh, yeah, there's I mean, absolutely no question about it. They are a, a very special group. Well, thanks for letting me be a part of the uh, Art Bell family. Nighttime people, for some reason, Dan Daniel, are different. Yeah, wondrous. Uh, they're. I mean, they're wondrous. They're. Hopeful, they they 
are spiritually inclined and they're not afraid to deal with the issues and they're not afraid to look at it and try to understand it. And in, they do it in a very gracious way. Is there anything you're afraid of anymore? I'm afraid of failing myself. That There's makes sense. There's nothing else that you would fear. And why? Remember, when your life when you come to the, face your life and your panoramic life review, the system of judgment is this. If God couldn't come today and God sent you, mm -hmm. what difference has God made? If spirit couldn't be here today and spirit sent you, what difference has spirit made? Not what you did. Not you personally. You don't really come up as an issue until the second or third time that you look at your life past before you. I've got you. All right, Daniel, hold on. We're at the bottom of the hour, and we will be right back. I'm Art Bell, and you're listening to the American CBC Radio Network. Taking calls on the wild card line at 702-727-1295. That's 702-727-1295. First-time callers can reach Art Bell at 702-727-1222. 702-727-1222. Now, here again, Art Bell. Once again, here I am. My guest is Daniel Brinkley. And he'll be back in a flash. Back now to Daniel Brinkley. Daniel, I'm not going to, I, I've been doing this lately with guests. I'm not going to give you the easy faxes. Uh, there are many, many uh, friendly faxes coming in. I'm going to give you the tough ones. Hit me with the best shot. Yeah, all right. Here comes one. Dear Art, I'm afraid I must take intellectual exception to your guest. He can drop a lot of names. He can uh, unequivocally state that he does not agree with established traditional knowledge. He can knock and mock established religion while espousing the cult of Casey and others, but the truth of his words is he hasn't really said a thing. No proofs, no facts, no evidence, no major new revelation that does not require a gigantic leap from established knowledge. Nothing. That's Bill in Abert, uh, it's Abbotsford, B.C. Hi, Bill. That's uh, <laughs> true, except that I said in the next couple of years, this will all come to pass. I wrote Saved by the Light and at Peace in the Light, and I laid down very specifically every issue that I dealt with for 21 years. And what this discussion is about is opening up a forum for people to look at these issues, to search them out, to ask specific questions. So the leap of faith that it takes is to just read the books, look at the issues, and stay current. And I'm not an avid believer in Casey or any of the other people who make these kinds of predictions or who say this kind of stuff. But what happens when someone who would lay down and go to sleep 
who was a fundamentalist Christian, when he woke up, everybody's eyes were big as saucers, and he died 50 years ago. But what he said in the 30s happens to be proven to be true. That is a leap of faith. John Anthony West, doing uh, geology research, has discovered that by the way the structures of the sinks are, that it was water damage, not wind damage, mm -hmm. and that it had to be 12,000 years old when instead of 4,500 years old, if that theory is followed. And a guy named Edgar Casey said it uh, 50 years ago. But he also said it in a trance that he doesn't remember a single word, that it would be also the point of where the recognition and the return of the Christ consciousness would be in place. Well, 50 years later, that research is documented by geologists. And whether, no matter where it came from, if that sinks is that age, then also within the context of that is a spiritual place about the coming of Christ. I am talking about that. But our earthly disagreements are so severe that people like Hawass have said things about their enemies, John Anthony, others, um, that uh, he, he would like to see them, uh, I believe, beheaded, thrown into a pit and defecated upon. <laughs> uh, so we're, we're not much in agreement here on earth about all of this, are we? No, but one thing is for sure. The time is where we will have to deal with it. And remember this, too, Art. I've, I'm listening to all sides. Okay? I'm not a, I didn't come to, to bring about revelations of the world. I came to tell what happened to Daniel Brinkley. And if you're losing your mom and your dad, I write books about how to deal with that. But I can't help the fact that I had this vision. And I just lay it out in detail, and it's a 21-year-old story, and it's documented so thoroughly over the last 21 years by people who have come to disprove it, do whatever it is they want to do, but you can't argue with that fact. The fact is that we're all in a place to feel where where our, our, our listener is. We're all there. So I think the next great revelation is the fact that we're all looking at this, dealing with this, and trying to find the real answers so we can make the best decisions that we can. Daniel, why do you think so many people who have near-death experiences, go to, right to the edge or even beyond, are given an opportunity to see things that will happen? Well, I think it's this, Art. We are, we are spiritual beings in a physical life. I think that what happens to me, and a lot of people like me, because I've met a lot of Daniel Brinkley's, who have glimpsed some era or some point of the future, because it happens in a different concept. We are such linear thinking beings when it's not that way. We are the future. We decide. Our past is already in place. Our present is right now, but it will determine our future and how we understand the issues that affect us in our lives. Daniel, it is so threatening for people to think that all they believe or have faith in might be wrong. Well, they ought to try 180,000 volts. Yeah. They ought to talk on the telephone. <laughs> you know, I have the Daniel long course and I have the Daniel short course. Sure. The Daniel long course is listen, read the books, and then when I'm on art show, call me up. Fax me, threaten me, do whatever you want to do, because I'm, that's what I'm here for. All right, well, let's do more of it. First time caller line, you're on the air with Daniel Brinkley. Hi. Hi. Do the wild thing at 702-727-1295.
Uh, okay, Jim. Whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, the only thing we don't do here is allow you to give your last name on oh, there. Oh, I'm sorry. That's so right. let I'm... us begin anew here. Your name is Jim. Jim. And where are you, Jim? Uh, San Diego. All right. Fire away. Hi, Jim. Hi, Art. Huh. Uh, this is first time caller, but I'm trying to order a radio, and that 800 number isn't working. Do you have oh, another no. number? No, they're doing it two days in a row, Art. Uh, well, sir, uh, the number will not be active until 7.30 in the morning. I called at 7.30 the last two mornings. No, 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 I know. They, oh. be, because of the flood. Oh, okay. In the west, it's been out. But uh, as of this morning at 7.30, it'll be all restored, so call them. Okay. And I as really a matter of fact, it's, it's good, it, all right, it's a good thing you waited because you get $5 off today. Oh, it's 104? Um, that's That's right. Oh, all right. All right. Okay, well, you have a good evening. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Glad I could bring That's you the good news. great, Art. <laughs> well, great. It, I tell you, they've, they had a whole room full of people, you know, who answer phones there, and they were dead. Yeah. Just dead all day long. But I'm going to order the radio myself. <laughs> it's the best one I've ever well, no, seen. No, I'm ordering it. I mean, I don't, I don't have any problems about it. I, I've been through an Art Bell situation. All those people, when... I told everybody that if they want, remember when I told everybody if they wanted to buy my book and I just happened to say it? Yep. Well, thousands and thousands and thousands of people wrote me and sent me checks. I know you got buried. Yeah, think of this, Art, and I'll do it again. <laughs> you know, I'm better organized now. If they want to buy my book, they can do the, they can write me and send me whatever it was, the $15. But Art, today, I got a letter. I don't know when that show was. I got a letter from a person who had received a tape of that show oh, yes. in England, who had sent it to a friend in Scotland, <laughs> who had sent it to a friend in South Africa, Yes. and I got a letter. Now, this is like a year ago, right? Eight months ago or sure, something. Sure, sure. I got a letter that said, Art Bell is wonderful from South Africa that had gone through four people listening to your tapes and your shows. You are impacting, and you are making a tremendous difference in this world. Well, we are heard pretty much worldwide now. And... Oh, not pretty much. From, uh, from uh, no, Indiana to, Eng to England, England to Scotland, Scotland to South Africa, yeah. and along the way I get letters that says Art Bell is wonderful from tapes that, People record of your shows and send to their friends. Thank you, Danian. Uh, you Wild Card Line, you're on the air with Danian Brinkley. Hi. Uh, yes, Danian. I had called uh, Art before, and I uh, told him I had an out-of-body experience where a priest from ancient, ancient Egypt told me I was uh, Khufu's daughter. And uh, I went to Egypt, and it seemed like everyone from Cairo to Aswan knew who I was. Well, that would be a point where uh, reincarnation really comes to be a factor where we're studying. Yes. So I would make sure that if I was going to Egypt, I would go with Art Bell on October the 1st. <laughs> well, I've been over there. I was initiated in the uh, pyramid. and um, uh, Which when? What period of time? I was there uh, just prior to 1980. Okay. But uh, the pyramid was designed by the cousin of... Uh, Khufu, and Khufu actually means uh, the Christ Spirit. The name the Khu uh, is uh, like the shining one, the ball of light that's uh, in, in, in your body. Uh, his, uh, how do I explain this? Uh, his cousin, Hem Hemayuni, uh, designed the pyramid. 
But something happened to him in the course of the building of it, and it was redesigned by Jedef Ray, the pharaoh that reigned after uh, Khufu. Uh, I was, uh, uh, at that time, Marisa Ank was betrothed to Jedef Ray, who ruled Upper Egypt. That which is, is the really part. Lower Egypt, which is Southern Egypt. Yeah, Lower Egypt, which is Upper <laughs> Upper Egypt, which is southern. Upper right, Egypt, give me a which, is lower, which is uh, southern Egypt. <laughs> All right, do you have a question, sir? Uh, I wanted to say I remember some things about uh, underneath the Sphinx. I was just underneath the Sphinx. What did you see there? I saw a series of chambers that I know that begin to open up into other chambers. I mean, they're beginning the excavations, but there are other chambers. It is though as that they decided to stop uh, exploring that part in no. order to... Why? Well, because the Sphinx is crumbling, and they had to either take the money for the repair of the Sphinx or take the money to go under and excavate it. And there are so many... See, I'm not pro-anybody, but when you let me walk the ground, when you let me crawl in there and you let me look at it, I just have Daniel Brinkley's perspective on it. And when you get to look at the financial situation and you listen to the conversation and you stand there watching them try to keep the thing from crumbling apart and you look at what the opportunities are under underneath it, then you you know, you come to find a middle ground. So there are the chambers under the Sphinx. Then the ones that I saw are just small rooms, but it's there and I know it will open up to other rooms because of some of the geological and seismographic research that I've just seen that sure. people have been sending me. I know, but uh, when they finally are opened, Danyan, I question whether the information they find, if that's what they find, will be shared with the world. Well, I'll ensure the fact that Art Bell will be there. Well, and, maybe that'll help, but, you well, know, wait I... Wait a second, <laughs> I'm working on that. I just got, you know, I will call and put that in a position. Because look, Art, I have those same kinds of thoughts, but mine are not against Zahi Hawass and the Egyptian government and the plateau. Mine are against the fundamentalists or the radicals or the terrorists or whatever in any religion. This happens to be Islamic. We have fundamentalist uh, radical Christians. I think that that is the greatest threat to the issue more than any of these other people or these other events, because I just came from there. I look at the intelligence. I read the opposition newspapers, and I see what they say about John and what they say about Graham and right. what they say and what they say about uh, Dr. Hawass. I mean, I have just only begun to meet and know these people. We, as a, as a conscious, everyday group of people, better worry more about that, because if we create situations with the interaction between all parties that feeds this uh, fundamentalist desire, then whatever happens, if they seize the government or they overthrow the government like it's happening in all over the uh, Middle East, none of us will ever get a right to know. It'll be stopped. So what we have to do, we have to start thinking and focusing in a way that we as uh, spiritually-minded people in an everyday life, figure out how we can negotiate a place where all those decisions are left open and everyone can decide who's right and who's wrong or how best to handle it. Because if we don't, that part of the world will be closed off from us and we will never 
get to see it, just like China and Tibet. We'll never get to see it. When, when you say to Mr. Hawass that what he lords over at the moment in terms of the power he has about what goes on at Giza um, does not belong to him, nor even Egypt, but to the world, dare you say something like that? And if you did, how did he respond? He said that he believes that, that, it's, that the antiquities of the past belong to the world. It's not just Egypt's. I mean, he said that. I asked him, you know, because I ask him a lot of the questions and I hear everybody. I didn't get a, a vicious response. I got a response that he believed that, that, that Egypt is the protector of it. They protect it as well as they try to protect their cultural history, but yet they discover new things every day. And the way he came across to me was he believes that whatever's there, he just has it. He doesn't believe this stuff because he's a trained archaeologist and trained Egyptologist. He doesn't believe this. But he is not closed off to it, that if it's there, then it's a treasure that's the world. What he has to deal with is all the issues and all the things that go on with all the other discoveries and digs and things that go on like that. But I have never heard him in my talk conversations with him and my interviews with him or with John Anthony Weston or with Graham Hancock or any of the other participants. Sure. Everyone has a valid position. There is no question. I don't see, I see each say some of the same things about each other, and yet I don't find any of these people bad. I find them in a place where each have valid issues. All right, uh, back to the phones. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Daniel Brinkley. Hello there. Hi, Art. Hi, Daniel. Hey. Uh, I wanted to ask Who are you about his hospice work. Uh, yes, sir. Where are you? I'm, uh, I'm on I-30 between uh, almost the Texarkana right now. Texarkana. All right. What is your first name? My name is Mitch. All right, Mitch. Hi, Mitch. I wanted to ask him in his, during his, in his hospice work if he had ever had any of his uh, friends... Uh, have any near-death experiences, and if he did, if he could share that with us. Oh, it is a good question. Um, Daniel, what about that? You've worked with so many dying people. Probably 40 people have had near-death experiences. Forty? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been with people who've been resuscitated five times. They, I've heard stories, you know, say by the light and that piece in the light, so millions of copies, and they're pretty, like Raymond said, it's one of the most detailed near-death experiences, and and that, and that, and that. I've talked to people who have had been resuscitated four and five times who have stories that make mine sound like child's play. <laughs> if a person wants to really understand that they don't die so they can really begin to live and explore, then become a hospice volunteer because you will sit with someone in their final days facing their own spiritual self, their own mental self, and they will have conversations with you that you will know will be the truth. What gives me such confidence in the, that I can say boldly, and I'll say it again, the near-death experience affords the greatest opportunity to understand how you as a spiritual being leaves this world. I hope that the books that I write help reinforce that and give people insights into techniques to deal with the loss of their moms and dads, brothers and sisters, and to understand it from a very calm and wondrous place. Daniel, remind me of the deal that you offered, that book deal the last time. What was it? Well, if someone wrote me a letter yeah. to the, the address 
and they wanted to buy my uh, hard copies of my book, Saved by the Light and at Peace and Light, because right. I have all the hard copies, and I don't have but a, you know, I only X amount left. That if they sent me, I think it was fifteen dollars, but I've learned a hard lesson. Hmm. If they send me sixteen dollars and twenty four cents per book, I will get that book to them as rapidly as possible and a lot more efficient than I did the last time. <laughs> but I, I never realized that so many people loved you, Art, and listened to you and sought to understand stuff. And so, Well, Daniel, you sold millions of books. It's not just me. It's, it's your books. This is a subject of very, very intense interest to everybody. It is the ultimate question for all of us, and you've been there. That's why. Twice. 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 So, you uh, know, I come back and I try to help us deal with it. But you know what? If anybody sends me that money, and I will sign, and they write their name, I will sign, I will sign it in my own handwriting. I will autograph that book to them, and I'll send it back. Uh -huh. And I would beg them to read it, and then to take what they learn from that book and apply it to their everyday life. So, this applies to uh, Save by the Light. And at peace and at peace in the light. Yes. Autograph audio or in book form. Autograph copies, huh? Absolutely. Now that's I mean, not I want to be able to art. You know, there's sixteen. All right, wait a minute. We're, we're short on time. Sixteen dollars and twenty-four cents. And what is the address? Uh, Post Office Box 1919, Aiken, A-I-K-E-N, South Carolina, two nine eight zero two. And please write on the envelope. Art Bell is wonderful. Well, come on, because that's how I can, I get, uh, I get, you know, Art, I've received over 58,000 letters, and people write and say what the books have done to help them deal with the loss of their moms and dads, and I just heard the other day that the television movie was being used in halfway houses for teenage kids, I'm sure and that. that it's been one of the most significantly changing the attitudes of those kids of any other uh, social system that they've, tr that they've tried. Alright, uh we've got a million people calling. Can you afford to stay around another hour and answer questions? Yeah. Cool. Alright, Daniel Brinkley is my guest, and he will be back in a moment, or a few moments, actually, as we uh, endeavor to find out what's going on in this world of ours. Ever-changing. Ever-surprising, too. I'm Art Bell, and from the high desert still dry at this moment in the South, this is the American CBC Radio Network. West of the Rockies at 1-800-618-8255. 1-800-618-8255. East of the Rockies at 1-800-825-5033. 1-800-825-5033. This is the CBC Radio Network. It is, and I suspect we're all headed back to where we started from. And it probably has something to do with love. Good morning, everybody. All right, and it's coming home. We gotta get right back to where we started. 
I'm Art Bell, and my guest is Daniel Brinkley, and he'll be right back. Back now to Daniel Brinkley, who somehow is holding up back there. How, how are you doing? I'm having a great time, Art. You know, it's always nice to visit with you and your people. Could I make a statement about your first uh, commercial you were talking about, about the change in the currency? Oh, you may. That is absolutely true. I know. It will happen in the next uh, six months from now. We will move into an economic situation. This is in Saved by the Light, reinforced in it, peace in the light. And this is the kind of stuff that I'm not always off into because I deal with death and dying. But if anyone that can pay, they can dial 1-800 and order that uh, copy of that bill, and they don't do it, they're dumb. This will all start happening now. In a couple of weeks from now, the Dow will drop. Um, what's going to happen is we lose our Treasury bond position because mm -hmm. of the upswing or the downswing in the economy. The stock market will begin to change. I know. And they have to issue these currencies. It has to be in place. And so... Daniel, I, Daniel, it's one of the reasons that I've damn near given up on politics. I, I watched really carefully this last uh, campaign. Wasn't it a joke? Uh, a joke <laughs> is the right word. They argued about absolutely, when there are momentous things that are ahead, they could have discussed, debated, or at least made the American people aware of. They argued minutia, baloney. Different. On both sides, though, Art. Uh, on both sides, Daniel. On both sides. I agree with them. you. I absolutely agree with you. They'll never balance the budget. We're going to move into an economic situation, and categorically, it's what I write about. I mean, I can't stand the fact that it is, and yet that I do love it, because <clears throat> everyone, the stock market, will begin to collapse. When Bill Clinton goes on television... This is the first sign. He will go on television and say the market's unstable, mm -hmm. and they're making every effort with uh, Treasury Secretary Rubin. They're making every effort to stabilize it. Don't worry about it. And then there'll be a boomward upward again, another bull market. And then it'll probably collapse. It'll probably drop two or 3,000 points and get back to where it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. What that would do is wipe out the position of the middle class, just like the S&Ls did. And what's so funny... Is, is that this time around, Art, I have no doubt that we, the people who listen to your show and the people who are talking and who are not afraid of looking at these issues, we won't stand for it. The same as Medicaid and Medicare. There is no Social Security money. There is no Medicaid and Medicare. Do you realize that, that a bill went into law today, I mean yesterday, New Year's Day, that they cut millions of people off from getting a check, which is a socialist, you know, SSI, uh, Social Security Dependents or something, right. because of alcoholism or drug-related disabilities. Right. So that means within five months from now, the murder rate, ra the, murder rate the uh, drug uh, problems, the robbery problems, the burglary problems are all going to increase a hundredfold and literally destabilize our economy. And it's going to happen, okay, and because we just cut the money off without looking at the issues and the programs. Well, that's a part of us and religions, institutions, and governments really changing. And what I think that is really important about the people who advertise on your show, and I'm going to say it again, is they're smart, 
and they realize that us all-nighters, we realize it too. I don't think that they'll win. There's an emotional reaction, uh, Daniel. I'm, you know, when people talk to me about people on SSI who are drug addicts or alcoholics, I too, uh, the hard-nosed part of me says, um, why the hell should my tax dollars go to support them? That doesn't mean that I don't believe what you're saying. You cut them off cold turkey, and they're not going to go, uh, go uh, start flipping uh, burgers. They're going to go start hitting heads. And the bill was passed. It's now law. That yeah. means next month they don't get a check. Yep. So three months from now or four months from now, we will see such a movement in the uh, the cultural structure of this country. Just think about that. Art. I, I don't disagree with you. This country that we something's going to happen. Daniel, there's a quickening going on. Oh yes, and that's the most wondrous part about it. While we were discussing the things they're stealing in Egypt and what we're what we're looking at in Bosnia and the room now that the church has sided the uh, Christian church has sided with Serbia. I mean now it's a church issue where the the Bosnian the Bosnia the Bosnian Muslim and the Bosnian Serb issue now is yep. being polarized by the issues of the church. The church has now entered into it. Which you know I write about that stuff and we talk about it all the time. But we are in the quickening. We are in the change. Thanks to Art Bell and the people who sponsor him, it allows all of us to listen and to be able to take it in, form our own opinions about it, but at least to be aware. Because what happens and on top of that, we find out that our whole cultural and religious history is different. We look at Israel, where uh, the Hebron issue, mm-hmm. there are all these issues that are coming about. These are the issues that... And the 3,000th-year celebration of Jerusalem in the third millennium of Christianity, in the coming of a new millennium, in the, in, in the events and eras that are coming about, we must be informed. My specialty is death and dying. I find myself in dealing with issues like Egypt and Dr. Hawass and with John and with Gordon and with Graham and with all these things that come about. But what's so wonderful about it, Art, is that we can talk about it. We can indeed, and we better, because there's people waiting. First time caller line, you're on the air with Danyan Brinkley. Hello. Hi, Art. Uh, this is uh, Dick in Houston. Hi, uh, Dick. Danyan. Hi, Dick. How you doing? Pretty good, guy. Um, you had mentioned something about reincarnation that you weren't sure whether you believed in it or not. Right. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, a lot of what you say uh, reinforces reincarnation. I understand that. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, you know, you talk a lot about actually uh, cause and effect and, and, and a person's karma and uh, setting up their next lifetimes. Because when you're looking at, your, at, your, at that movie you're talking about of your life, uh, it's kind of setting up how you're going to be reborn back into the next lifetime. This is what I believe. Well, you see, I, I believe a lot of, uh, because I listen to people, Brian and... Uh, uh, just the people who talk about it, and I listen to them and what they say, and all of a sudden I realize that there's a lot more to this world and who we are as spiritual beings, our options that come to this world. Now, I myself don't believe a lot of the karmic relationship of the Eastern philosophy of reincarnation, mm-hmm. but I believe as a personal place, just as Damien Brinkley, that it makes more sense than any other theory I've heard before now, yeah. that we choose to come here and are chosen to come here, that I know. 
We come per breath. We breathe in for ourselves and out for spirituality. Well, if we're too chosen to come come here, then why don't you think that we've already been here before? All right, I, I want to agree with Daniel and challenge you a little bit, caller. I, too, uh, think that reincarnation seems to make sense, sort of, but when you get to the karmic side of it... That's the Eastern philosophy. Yes, part. why in the world, for example, should a intelligent, um, good human being, uh, innocent, uh, even a child, pay karmically for something that has been done in a previous life of which this person has no conscious recollection? That doesn't seem cosmically fair. Uh, it's very very difficult to understand, but uh, if a person has done wrong things, in other words, have done, I believe that if, if you've done uh, good causes in your lifetime, uh, you're going to get good effects. However, if you've done bad uh, causes in your lifetime, then you're going to get the opposite. Yeah, effect. but right, but the good effects might co not come until the next life, and you will have no conscious recollection of why good stuff is happening to you. This is true. So it just, you know, it, I'm sorry, it just sort of never clicked for yeah. me. I, I appreciate your call. Uh, so, in a way, I guess I, I agree with you, uh, Daniel. It never quite made sense. Well, I just don't understand it. But the the possibilities of its existence is what is so wondrous about being able to talk about it. We are grown men. We are we live in everyday life. Most people are working hard tonight, or they're yeah. up paying attention or worrying about something. But we are not afraid to talk about it. We're not afraid to face it, not afraid to look at it, and to try to put it in our lives as a concept. Here's a person who believes in this issue, and yet he can listen to me talk who doesn't believe so much because I don't know, but yet my it, the things that I talk about and the synchronicity, synchronicity or the commonality of it reinforces a belief system for him. I think that our, that's what it does for all of us, like all of us listening tonight and me getting to listen and grow too. I get to hear more and more and more. And as we do that, we begin to change and alter our own perspectives of reality. And I think that's the great part about Art Bell. I mean, I think that's the great part about that this show exists, that this is a forum where you can speak openly, you can search an issue out. It is that, yes. And you can make a decision about it on your own based on information and conversation, not agitation, aggravation, or confrontation. Right. Although I personally like those last three. <laughs> you know? <laughs> They're like my favorite pastime. Well, I d what I don't do is seek them out just for the sake of them. If they occur naturally, fine. <clears throat> well, uh, you, I if... periodically seek them out just for the sake of the... <laughs> <laughs> Wildcard line, you're on the air with Danian Brinkley. Hi. Hello, Art. Hello, Danian. Hey, who's this? This is Bill from Dallas, Texas. Hi, Hi Bill. Bill. Listen, I loved your books. Your TV movie was great. I've seen it like three times, showed it to all my friends. Wow. Thanks a lot. Uh, of the prophecies you were shown by the, the light beings, yeah. what is the last one to have been fulfilled, and what is the next one you see happening? Good question. Okay, the very last one was the Israeli-Palestinian Accord situation and how dealing with that, the, what happens in Israel and the, the Israel becoming the center focus of the world again, at that point we would begin to watch the, what, what happens in Jerusalem and that Jerusalem would become the key issue of the settlement or the war in the Middle East. That's what's happening now. Okay, I said that Jordan would disappear and that there would be a, a new state created that Jordan would disappear, and uh, the Jordan, the West Bank, 
happens to be a part of Jordan for the last 4,000 years, and that 66% of the population of um, Jordan is Palestinian, and they're creating a state. I also described that there would be a uniformed military army or police that would come about, and even to the uniforms they wear of the Palestinian guard, that's come about. That the issues of dealing with how Hebron and uh, how the city of Jerusalem is decided, the next thing that should happen, so that if that is true, then the next thing that should happen is is that we'll enter a place over in Jerusalem where it's almost a war, where the Israeli government is seizing East Jerusalem and Arab territory as fast as they can, expanding the settlements. What will happen is that it will go to the point of war and that one of the churches, either the Holy Roman Catholic Church or the Pope or the Eastern Orthodox Church, would come in and help negotiate a settlement on the Jerusalem issue. Wow. Uh, the fact that Arafat is now in, discu- in discussion with the Pope and the fact that there are now Orthodox religious groups which are now beginning to negotiate to help create this settlement, that the next thing would be to watch for a papacy, that literally Jerusalem would become a place that would be governed by a body. For Israel to give up that right, it would have to be probably the most horrendous thing to occur. Most people say, Daniel, that's the dumbest thing you've ever said. But the fact that I watched it for 21 years, and Uh this was something I saw when I was dead, I'm not Nostradamus, that would be the next point. The next other point we must watch for that we must watch what happens in Bosnia. For now we have a religious where the church is now uniting. And I've been saying this for years, but I've been saying it over and over for the last two years, that this is where World War I started in Sarajevo, the uh, assassination of Archduke Ferdinand. This is where World War II started, when the Croats helped the Germans occupy Austria. Well, guess what? This is a religious war. What's going to happen? In the Anthony Lake hearings, as the head and next director of the CIA, mm-hmm. how they set up to funnel arms into the Bosnian position, uh, that the Secretary of Defense for, uh, for uh, the Bosnian uh, Muslim side is an Iranian. That's how it was Iranian weapons that came in. Yeah, we'll, we'll start hearing the fact that World War III will begin almost in three places at the same time, and the issue is, if we watch Israel, they will come about. Wow. But what we have to do is be conscious enough to realize that this is what will occur if we don't actively participate in the world as we know it. We don't stand up and, and uh, stand up for our issues and our rights. But that's the recent one, and that's the next one. There you go, Colin. Thank you. One heavy question. Well, not, well, not heavy one. One big question. How long? This is a big one. How long before you see? a possible one-world government. All right, good. Uh, I would see it forming now. I would say that by the time the Clinton administration ends, which uh, was probably two years more than four years, and the, the initiation of whoever, after whatever happens to Bill comes about, it will be in place. So uh, I would say that it is um, 75% in place now. When you look at the World Trade Organization, think sure. of this. The World Trade Organization, which we are a member of, has just issued a ruling that rescinds 
our EPA, our environmental protection laws. The World Trade Organization just ruled against the United States and said that the United States had to import, um, I think it's Venezuelan and Venezuelan oil and another country's oil, which or gas refined gasoline, which is a higher sulfur content than gasoline that we normally run under the EPA rules. Exactly. That the United States government right now and the Congress of the EPA, the Congress that passed the laws of the Clean Air Act, are now have to be rewritten and rescinded because the World Trade Organization says that we must buy this gas because that's what they decided as they hold these this power. So already political subservience. Yeah, we're we're fast closing to that. All right. Now, should that be a frightening issue? Somewhat. But what also must it should should it be? Well, it's two-edged. It should be a spiritual place to understand yep. that we chose to come here. We are here at this time so that we can make the right decisions, both spirit and ourselves. We choose to come here and are chosen to come here. Both the spiritual world and ourselves believe that we're capable of maintaining, resisting, evolving, and changing what has been set in course long before we got here. I mean, that's like revelations and all of that business. All right. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Daniel Brinkley. Hi. Hello. Hello, Art Bell. Best of love to you and your entire family and all your listening audience. Thank you. Who are you and where are you? This is Liza again from Florida. Okay. Hi, Liza. How you doing? Um, I was listening to um, and taking some notes onto the um, actual, um, uh, when you were speaking in, in terms of the um, um, Egypt, China, Uganda, Peru. Right. And also, you mentioned um, on the other side, uh, you you saw the uh, different religions. Um, you mentioned Buddhism, Judaism, and um, Christianity, but you didn't mention Hinduism. Was there a specific reason for that? Well, no. Okay. I mean, uh, <clears throat> Hinduism. I, I, what I was describing was is that as each person deals with the beings of light, or that that first encounter that they have in the near death experience, it's what they name it. Okay, there could be Krishna. I have no problem about everyone in each different cultural, social, sociological order or religious perspective gives the gives that name to the being of light. I didn't have a name. My my Christian my growing up in education didn't give me a way to name it, so I call it beings of light. I'm but not I, sure it needs a name, uh, Daniel. Hold on just a moment. There's a spirit up there. I think we all know that something up there. I'm not sure a name is required. Now, that'll get me in trouble. I'm Art Bell, and this is CBC. Taking calls on the wild card line at 702-727-1295. That's 702-727-1295. 
First-time callers can reach Art Bell at 702-727-1222. 702-727-1222. Now, here again, Art Bell. Once again, here I am. All right, um, Danian, before we go back to the lines, uh, I've got a personal question for you. Yes, sir. This comes from uh, Mark, and he says, One quick question. As I began listening this evening in the third hour, I'm not certain if this question has been asked, but how is uh, Danian's health? I've received several negative reports of his condition, and I'm concerned the man is a true icon, and they're worried. Uh, signed, Mark. Are you okay? Well, I'm doing fair. I mean, when you go through all that I've been through in my life, all right, you have ups and downs. Sure. And I have ups and downs. And, yes, I'm going through one of those ups, <clears throat> I mean, one of those downs. But um, <clears throat> I will survive as long as necessary to get the issues that I deal with done and to all those people who really do care, I mean, the things, the people who write me and help me out, that when you said it has to do with love, it's that love that sustains me. And I'm having a little down period, so I would appreciate those people who think about me. But um, I'm strong in my spirit, dedicated in what I'm doing. I try to stay as honest and as open as I can with as many people as I can in the lecture tours and the stuff that I do. And as long as I keep that in focus... The aches and pains that come with uh, maybe leaving this world a little more rapidly than most of us, I can deal with them. All right. Um, so just uh, thanks, Mark. First, thanks everybody else that thinks about me, that worries about me, that sends me their prayers and uh, surrounds me with light. I appreciate it because that's how I keep going. First time caller line, you're on the air with Daniel Brinkley. Hello. Hi, Danian. Hi, Art. Hi. This is Sun Spirit calling from Boulder, Colorado. Yes. Hi, Sun Spirit. Hi. Um, I have a question that uh, I think you may have skirted the answer a little bit. Uh, well, pin me down. Before you went to commercial. All right, pin them down. Uh, it has to do with uh, those of us that uh, that know we're consciously here in terms of uh, shining the light. And I think we're all here doing that in a variety of ways. Um, how much attention do we need to pay to uh, the physical changes and the things that we've talked about tonight that will be unfolding and that are unfolding? All right, it is a fair question. There are going to be large physical changes. Mental and spiritual changes also. Yes, we should keep it all in perspective. Yes, but, but, but for the sake of this question, let's concentrate on the physical changes that are coming. Well, it is the value that you give to the place that you are as those changes come about. Because each of us are where we're supposed to be, or we will find that place. I, would, I give it very little value. I mean, I pay attention to my inner spiritual growth and the dynamic of understanding that. Uh -huh. So in physical life, I don't pay as much attention to it as a lot of people who uh, are worried about whether they should live in California or whether the sure. earth is going to split or sure. whether it will be sink or uh, that the polar shift will come. Each of us individually knows how much we should focus on that. 
because of being where we should be at that right time. I personally, uh, if I had a choice, I would like to be at ground zero when whatever happens, happens. <laughs> I mean, whatever goes on. What will probably happen is by some dumb luck or by the fact that they keep sending me back, I'll probably be at the safest place. Well, you'll probably have another NDE. Yeah, you know, and then if they have books, then I'll write one, and then I'll have to worry about that part. But the key is this. There are a lot of tremendous changes going to happen physiologically which will affect us uh, in our mental, physical attitude. It isn't really physically the, the, the issues we deal with. It's our mental, uh, physical attitude which creates our emotional perspective to what we deal with. That will be changed, shook, rattled, and transformed over the next five or six years in ways no one can comprehend. But knowing to find that center place, that quiet spiritual place inside of you, and to let it guide you to where you're supposed to be, regardless of what the issue is. Mm -hmm. And then I think that that's the most that I think that we should focus on the physical. All right. But, All right, Daniel. That's fine. We'll leave it there. Uh, Wildcard Line, you're on the air with Daniel Brinkley. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi, this is Vicky. Hi, Vicky. Hi, I'm Vicky. Hi. Um, I'm calling from Ground Zero. <laughs> all right, my girl. Well, we're all from Ground Zero, and um, I just want to say it's a real pleasure to hear your voice. I think it's really calm, calming and soothing my rattled nerves. And I just want to tell you that that I love you a whole lot. I well, hope thank you very good pick up. You but, know, thanks because I'm trying to be that. I'm trying to be that person that that's gone through a lot of things. That as even as we skip around and bounce around on subjects and topics, because Art lets me be on his show pretty often, so it can go that way. Yeah. And I'm glad that in this southern old country boy, yeah. that you find a place that's commonness and soothing. And that I mean, that's who I'm trying to be. Yeah, I really I'm, do. I, I think you're just a real wonderful person. I have a question. You were talking about Israel. There's a man named Gershon Solomon. He's a descendant of King Solomon in Israel. He's been trying to build this third Jewish temple for years now. Yeah. He got a special vision from, from angels, he says. He to rebuild the uh, Temple of Solomon? Yeah. Hmm. Uh-huh. And he's, he's, he's uh, head of a committee over there. He's a well-known man in Israel. Do you, right. do you know anything about a third Jewish temple? Well, I know built? this, that uh, one of the most frightening parts that will come about in that was a vision of two tunnels. When I write in my books... I don't put everything in it, but because I don't, I don't want to add to. I believe that if you add to a mindset, then it becomes a physical reality, and then it exists. I'd rather kind of outline those things and hope I can change them. But there was a series of tunnels. Uh, but when we recently heard that the uh, Israelis opened up a tunnel that was an archaeological site very near the sacred dome of the Islamic faith. That means there's also a tunnel that is that would be very near the old site of King Solomon's of, of Solomon's Temple, which uh, in uh, in the heritage of Judaic Christian heritage, it means that that would be the period of the next coming or the true coming of Christ. Well, I would have to say that I would bet that the Palestinians are creating a mosque in a tunnel somewhere near that very site. Mm. So that will be an issue that will come about 
I'm not, I'm not, I don't know this to be true, but I know it from the vision that I had that it's true. And that will be one of the most significant issues over the next three or four months in the history of our world because it means that if it has a sacred site that's an Islamic temple, an Islamic mosque, that's on the same site of where Solomon's temple has to be rebuilt, then that will be the decisive factor for us to watch for. Yes, I think that all eyes have to look towards Jerusalem now because it, it will probably be the like the capital of the whole world. Well, it's or... the center of the perspective of the world. Yeah. The capital of the world is in each other's hearts. Uh-huh. There's a lot of things in the books of Revelations and the, the teachers of Nostradamus and Malachi and Malarkey and a lot of the great prophets that say that. Mm-hmm. But the capital of the world is the heart and mind of each of us individually as spiritual beings and our attitude toward these things. And the more we know about them, the more we can express our support, love, and prayers to protect or stop these events. Mm-hmm. But yes, you're right. I mean, uh, most of the philosophies or the, most of the philosophy of my life is based around that when Jerusalem becomes the center of attention of the world, we have come to the place in this period of evolution of our spiritual, mental, and physical selves that we must take stock, we must count our blessings, we must become hopeful, we must become faithful, and we must become loving toward each other so that we make it through this period of transition over the next six or seven years as the champions that we are. Right. All right. Uh, thank you. Uh, Thanks, Vicky. Daniel, I'm convinced that in the next... This is going to be a very... 1997 is going to be a very, very interesting year. Whoa. 1997 and 1998 yeah. are so pivotal. I wrote in my books that 94 to 96 would be the years that the stage would be set. And I've said this since 1975, so I came out on the public scene. I've been around, you know, 46 years. But I came out on the public scene with as hard as I could go in uh, early 93, and I will stay till 97, because I know that these are the times that we form our opinions we look at our mental, physical, and spiritual selves in a world that will go physically, mentally, emotionally, in every kind of change because it is a quickening. That my voice, and thanks, I'm really glad what that Vicky said that it's a calming voice. That mm-hmm. just like dealing with the uh, Egyptian issues, that it's a calming place. That I have, I've lost fear of death. There's not enough. I've been through enough emotional pain and enough physical pain in my life in going through two near-death experiences, there's not a lot that frightens me. I can tell that. I, I can feel that. I can hear that. I, I can sense that. It's obvious when one listens to you that you are at peace with what is to come. And I can deal with it in such a way that I hope I can bring a, a sensibility and a calmness to it and that I can help negotiate issues in places among people who have emotional attachments to a lot of stuff. I mean, I die with families all the time, Art. 153 people later. I'm around this all the time. It's my whole life. I've had, I know what it's like to be afraid. I know what it's like to face death. I know what it's like to die, to see the other side, and to come back. My life is dealing in hospice programs and helping my brothers and sisters and baby boomers deal with these issues. In the same course of that, I was born at night, but not last night. I'm not just some dummy. 
and I will deal with the things that I can help negotiate, which now I have your help in negotiating what I believe to be one of the most remarkable events that will come in the next two or three years, and this is in Egypt. Yes, oh, it's it's coming, all right. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Daniel Brinkley. Hello. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, this sir. This is Will listening to WDDY, Madison, Wisconsin. All right. Hi, Will. Hi. I have a question of Daniel, and if you both will kindly allow it, the question may need to be prefaced. Now, you must understand that I'm just an average fellow. Welcome to the club. Yeah, but I, I'm just like everybody else. I, I don't hear any pictures. I don't see any voices. You know, uh, I don't have the experiences you've had. But I was lucky in one thing or maybe two things. One, I was born deep in the wilderness near the Canadian border in the Superior National Forest of northeastern Minnesota. And within the continental United States, I think I can proudly say that I'm the only living American that can say he was born in a one-room log cabin. I was born in the Depression 30s. And if you'll allow me to say this... I think Abraham Lincoln could say that also. Yeah. My my mother, when she was nine years old, she fell down and on some ice and gangrene set in and ate away her nose. But I don't want anybody to feel sorry for her. She's dead now. But I kind of wondered. I went through a loop. Heaven gained her. Hello? Heaven gained her. She didn't die. Yeah. Heaven well, I went her. to a Lutheran Christian college, and I used to be confronted with the question of why should a young lady, young girl, uh, suffer? She had committed no sin. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had some great Christian teachers, and I had Howard Hong, who's deceased now, who was the authority on Soren Kierkegaard. And he and others used to say, uh, to believe is a matter of leap of faith. You can never prove if there's a life hereafter. And um, anyway, I finally came to the conclusion that there's millions, billions of us souls, and some child, you may wonder why they suffer, but they probably might be born again. Who knows? We really don't know the great answers. But, All right, sir. Do you have a question? Yeah. Now my, my question, my preface is this. Arthur C. Clarke, I'm a world traveler, and I was watching television one time, and he mentioned that the channels, uh, these uh, openings in these pyramids, etc., the word for them is Aoki. Now, I'm going to get to my question. Please. And the lady that Aoki is a Finno-Uralic word means channel, opening. And the lady called in mentioned cool, bill of light, ball of light. That's the word for moon in Finno-Uralic. All right, sir, we're going to have to leave the line if you don't answer. Uh, go ahead and ask your question. Okay. My question is, have you met other spirits? Did they converse and did you understand their conversation, their language, or at least some of their word sounds? All right. In other words, uh, did uh, you... either on this, in this lifetime or when I was on the other side. The other side. When I was on the other side, I met uh, a lot of spiritual beings, about 14 of them that I got to spend a little time around. And I understood every single concept and precept that they were trying to convey to me as well as they, mine. It is not a conversational word or language. It is the spiritual communication between two entities, which is in concepts and precepts as, as opposed to deductive or inductive reasoning based on a logical nature using words to symbolically represent what you emotionally feel or think. In what manner 
uh, did they appear to you in in the physical um, as, as beings of beautiful light? Beings of light, light as beings of light, continuously emanating fields of energy. Every single one of us who are listening and who are not listening, we are in a physical body, but we are light beings. We exist in multi-dimensional colors that are so beautiful and so wondrous that when I first when I saw them the first time. I was so amazed at the wonderment and the beauty of who we are as opposed to how we deal with ourselves in a physical form. Over there, we continuously emanate. We're radiant. We're wondrous in colors and pastels and hues and patterns. And it's our natural selves. Whereas here, we deal with a physical symbol body. I think that the nature of energy medicines like Qigong and the things that are happening in interactive auric field studies and that stuff really gives us a better perspective on who we are really as opposed to physically. So there was no sense of the physical? Yes, there was a sense of a physical, but it's a minute... Uh, think of this as physical art. The basic physical component of the universe is an atom. An atom is basically hollow. If you look at an atom under a microscope, sure. it's hollow. It's empty. But yet there is something that occupies that space, some very even more minute particles. So when you deal with looking at this side as opposed to the other side and looking at physical concepts, the basic physical component of this universe is an empty space called an atom. Hmm. So when you say... Yes, was it physical? I mean, was it physical, Daniel? Yes. Is an atom physical? Yes. Does it make up everything that creates molecules, the combining molecules that creates the densest concrete or steel in the universe? Yes. But what is its base component? Basically hollow with eight little shells around it. All right. Pretty, um, funny, pretty, pretty funny way to look at it, but... It, that's the way it is. If we can do it quickly before the top of the hour, west of the Rockies, you're on the air with Danyan Brinkley. Hi. Hi, this is Beth from Washington. Hi, I, I want to agree. Hi, Danyan. I want to agree with Danyan and what you're doing, and thank you too. Thank and, you. Uh, like Danyan says, it is all about love. And Danyan, um, listening to you is wonderful. I had my NDE 14 years ago. Hi, sister. Hi. <laughs> and like mm. you. Um, one of the most wonderful things about being able to come back is helping to take away the fear of the unknown, of helping people to prepare and look forward to going back home. And have as much fun here as you can possibly have. Oh, uh -huh. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know a lot of that's the Art Bell show, but um, <laughs> the part I enjoy the most is that we are living in the most wondrous times. The, the most wondrous, most interesting oh, they times. Are. They are. And we have a chance to interplay, interact within the formation of a whole new era and understanding. Just like when we were talking earlier in art and I with what's dealing with Egypt and all the people and what's going on. Now Art Bell is in the center of it. And here we have a chance, and all his listeners have a chance to have an input All right. if these halls of records are there. Daniel, hold that thought. We'll be right back. This is CBC.
Art Bell, toll free. West of the Rockies at 1-800-618-8255. 1-800-618-8255. East of the Rockies at 1-800-825-5033. 1-800-825-5033. This is the CBC Radio Network. Well, all right, back now uh, to Daniel Brinkley, who somehow is still with us. Your energy level must be higher than I thought. <laughs> it's just being around and talking to you, Art, <laughs> and how much fun it is. And I know I'm probably one of your most boring uh, interviews, but... No, uh, you're not. I appreciate everyone bearing with you on this one. <laughs> <laughs> you're not boring at all. West west of the Rockies, you're on the air with Daniel Brinkley. Good morning. How you doing there, Art Bell? Just fine. Uh, I just wanted to tell uh, yeah, Daniel that I saw his movie here. On, this is Sean from Portland. Hi, Sean. And I just thought it was one of the most amazing things I've ever saw. And every time I hear that you're going to be on Art Bell, I turn it on and I stay up all night just to listen to you. Sean, thank you from the bottom of my heart. And could I ask you why you do that? I, I just, I don't know. I just got this weird feeling that it's just of enlightenment almost, you know. That I'm going to try to tell the truth the best way that I know how to tell it and as honest as I know how to do it. Yep. Is that, does that, can, is that help, does that help describe it in any way? Yeah, it's just weird. Hey, um, I got a question for you and Art Bell both. Uh, All right. Uh, I was wondering, is there any any time you guys are going to come to Portland where I can see a seminar or anything like that? Well, uh, I'm going to make Art Bell start traveling with me on my <laughs> tour so that we do shows together. But um, I have a schedule that I'm going to send to Art so that he can put you know he can put it on his uh, network about where I'll be and when I'll be. But I'm sure I'm in Portland uh, this year. Oh, that'll be awesome. I know I'm in awesome. Seattle uh, next month. Oh, you're in Seattle. The 22nd, I'm in Seattle and then Vancouver, and I know that's near Portland. Right. So we'll make. I've, of course, been to Portland once. I did a book signing up there for my book. Uh, I I never got a copy of your book. You don't have a copy of my book? I'll I'll cure that for you. Art, what a terrible person you are. I didn't even know you didn't have a copy. Ah, you think so little of me. (laughs) Sean, I will be in uh, Seattle, Portland, and I will make sure that I. At some point, bring Art Bell with me. <laughs> this will be such fun. That would be fun. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Daniel Brinkley. Hello. Hello. Hello, Daniel. Hello, Art. Hi. Hi. Um, Who's this? Uh, this is Sue. Where, where are you, huh? I'm in St. Charles. St. Charles, okay. Um, the thing that's getting me about this whole thing, and has been ever, as long as I've been listening to you, Art, with the quickening and Daniel, it's like you're... You make you're creating more sheep just to accept whatever comes down on on them. It seems like it's a kind of a government thing to pacify people so they won't stand up and fight. I'm sure the powers that be don't give a darn about the quickening. As a matter of fact, they're creating it. They just created it for a bunch of um, people that are, have uh, addictions and they're supposed to now snap their fingers and get over it. I agree uh, with you. See, I'm, sorry. I'm not trying to create sheep. I'm trying to put the information out there and try to put it in a context that we deal with our spiritual matters. Beings of light. Yes. That's that the dead part. That's the dead part, the thanatos. Beings of light. I'm talking about the life part. Well, 
the life part? Yes, I'm looking at uh, a United States Code Title 50 War and National Defense Chemical and Biological Warfare Program, Use of Human Subjects for Testing Chemical and Biological Agents by the Department of Defense. You used to work for the government, right? Well, I'm still, yes, I'm still a contractor. So I think you're just, you know, you're the pacification part of that program. Well, think of it like this. A lot of times people say that, how can you do both? Well, I look at it like this. I, if I came out on the outside, I would just be a person yelling and screaming and looking at all the horrors. On the inside, I get a chance to talk to the people who affect and make policy. It's not a government, so to speak, of, of just a lump category. It's individuals. It's people who got a job believing in, in services and trying to make it a better America, who raise children, who are in college, who are now trying to deal with retirement. But they are the decision-making process. I'm not trying to pacify issues. I mean, I jump the government as readily and as quickly as anybody does, and I know a lot about it. And not only that, I will admit that I was once a part of that issue, the whole disclaimer, the whole pacifist position, and I don't deny that. But I am not that now. I'm in a place where, by the grace of God and by stupidity and by a little luck, that I am knowledgeable of the issues that go on, both from a spiritual point from being stupid enough to talk on the phone during a lightning storm, but spending 21 years in uh, the intelligence apparatus of this country in various capacities. I am standing for the spiritual nature of ourselves. I am more interested in the quality of the issues of dealing with the loss of our moms and our dads brothers and sisters than I am in one world governments and the conspiracies and the natures of that. I will fight any place, any time, health care, managed care, HMOs. I look at the new health care, Medicaid. I work with the National Institute for Health and I attack them. And so I don't think I'm a passive position in it. And if I appear to sound that way, then I'm sorry, but I mean, I'm not that. I'm trying to, I'm just a guy who's from South Carolina, who grew up in America, born in 1950, who um, by a lot of accidents, or black, not accidents, by a lot of things I had no control over, but by a lot of things I've had control over, that I see and am capable of speaking out about them. And um, maybe I'm not quite as radical as I should be, but, you know, I do enough damage as I go along that... You know? Well, I appreciate whatever you do that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I get them good, but I, I, hope I so. am a part. I, I believe in working within a system to improve it. Mm. And as it passes away, I don't want to be one of those screaming voices uh, in condemnation. I want to be a person that we can look at it, we can deal with it as grown, mature spiritual beings preparing for a, a coming of events that will move so fast and so quick that mm. I'm thankful that I have a voice that I can stay very calm doing it because I'm not afraid of dying. But I don't let the government off a minute. And I deal with them, and I deal with issues, and I will confront it. What I try to do is organize people like I'm an avid supporter of the Office of Alternative Medicine, and if anyone that really believes in trying to take issue with something not what what the government and the one world system is doing. Healthcare is the place where the one world system. Healthcare is the place where we will be put into the positions that we will make the choices and give away our freedoms. 
because we want to take care of our mom and dad as Medicaid and Medicare passes away. I stand and fight there and have been doing that for 21 years. And I believe that the battle for the souls of men is in health care, not in some far distant land. And it's upon each of us because it's a personal place. So, I mean, I've loosened my grip on war and uh, destruction and damage and began to focus on people in my generation, baby boomers. I write my books about just that. I got into this other stuff because I had a vision, and the damn stuff keeps coming true, and I keep finding myself in the middle of it all the time. But my part is that I want the quality of health care to be of a spiritual, physical value. And I believe that alternative and compatible medicines are the key. And I believe that the National Institute for Health and the Office of Alternative Medicine is probably the most critical needed support system within the government, or they will control it, take it away, disperse it, and destroy it. And I think that is the most evil thing because it doesn't care about our moms and our dads. All right, ma'am. Uh, no. No? <laughs> no. Uh, I just think that Daniel's concerned with the middle class in America, the most affluent group uh, probably in the whole world. Baby and, boomers, uh, not the middle what class. What about everybody else? All right, well, well uh, that is most of the people. Most of the people... That's 81 million Americans. Yeah, you bet. Uh, that I, That is the majority. And Well, it's not the majority, Art, but I believe that these are the people that I understand because I am one of them. The generation that's a little older than I am... I believe that we're in it, too. I mean, I believe they're in it also. Daniel, when I said the majority, I meant the middle class is the majority. No, baby boomers is the majority. Well, there, there are a lot of baby boomers. Yeah, but, they're, yeah, but Daniel, they're part of the middle class. When I, I'm, when I say middle class, I mean economic middle class. There are many more in this nation that are in the middle economically and socially than are on the fringes, that is to say, steeped in poverty, or on the other end, uh, stinking rich. Yeah, well, there's only 1% to stinking rich, but yeah, there okay, you are. I would go along with that. Well, I say this because this is the group of people. I remember, I know who Clarabelle the Clown is. I saw Elvis on Ed Sullivan and the Beatles. And I know what we think about because I'm one of us. And I deal with the same things that we deal with, each of us. And yet, through life experience, I have you know, some experiences that gives me sometimes an, a, an advantage, sometimes a disadvantage. And my author, my publishers always tell me, Daniel, stop saying that. Don't put you and categorize your books but and what you talk about. But I don't listen to them either. <laughs> I can talk that's to right. us, and that's who I'm interested in, because we are 81 million strong. We are able to vote. We're able to make qualified decisions. And we're in a place that the quality of health care of the people that we most love, like all our books are dedicated to baby boomers, to those of us as we face our own mortality, we must help those who we love and who have loved us face theirs. Now I've got a question for you. Uh, your books are million sellers, so when you come on a program like mine and you offer, you know, to send people autographed books... I only have, only ever done that because it's Art Bell's show. Yeah, but you really, really, really stick your neck out because I know I autographed, uh, oh, I don't know, several thousand books and it killed me. <laughs> so if you got over five thousand requests last time, uh, you must have been signing books for a long, long time, Daniel. But you know what, Art? This is my pleasure 
because the people who listen to your show, I only ever done this on your show, and I wouldn't do it on another show, but they listen to the conversations. These are us. We're up at night. We're thinking. We're wondering. We're searching our mm. souls and looking for answers. And it's my way of saying, hey, guys, this is what I can do, and I will put my personal. This is Daniel Brinkley speaking and trying to give of himself. I had to have all my neighbors, my friends, my parents, my brothers, my sisters, everybody in my house, and I signed every single one of those books, and I put my love around it, and I held each one of them, and I stamped them and stuck them together, and I sent them out. But I do it because our, the people who listen to your show are, are me. Man, and that's that, serious work, because I know your books uh, are in all the bookstores, distributed in the normal way, so it's a very unusual offer. It's, what, 16 bucks and something? Well, it's $16.24. 24 cents. And uh, it cost me $1.24 to send it to you. And this is the hardback. This is not paperback. This is the hardback. These okay, are the sure. hardback of Saved by the Light and at Peace in the Light. All right. And uh, The address uh, is... The address is $16.24 in a check made out to Daniel Brinkley, right? Well, yeah. Okay. Sent, uh, sent post to... Post Office Box 1919, Aiken, A-I-K-E-N, Aiken, South Carolina, 29802. And who to send it to? But I want those... The people who... I never realized are so many people. And the letters that I've gotten since people read them. I mean, the things that they've come back and sure. said, how it helped sure. them deal with the issues and that stuff. But I'm I'm trying to touch us. I'm not so much trying to sell books. I know, I know, but I'm still... I'm trying to touch us in a way that people can personally relate to Art Bell and Daniel Brinkley when we're together and we're talking and to have something that I can give of myself that I sit inside those books and I did. I was on the road 300 days last year, so I was a little late with some of them. 300 but days? This is my way of saying, hey, everybody... Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for letting me be a part. And like the lady who says, hey, look, I've been here for three or four hours with you guys, and it inspires them. Well, that inspires me. And it's just my way of saying, hey, everybody. All right. Slow up. Uh, you, you talk very quickly, Daniel. Give me the address slowly. P.O. Box 1919-1919. Aiken. A-I-K-E-N. South Carolina. 29802, 802. and please write on the envelope, Art Bell is wonderful. <laughs> oh, Daniel. They have to, because Art, I get six, three to six hundred pieces of mail a week. I read every letter sent to me. I mean, I read it. I'm not a, a, an empire. I'm one guy. Somebody reads my books and writes me. I read them. And, and you know, I'm probably 2,000 behind, but there's people who write and they want their books, and it's a way that I can pull those out, I can read them, I can autograph it, I can get it out to them. Because I'm like, I have, uh, out of the last 55 or 6,000 letters, I have 16,000 more to read. But anybody who doesn't buy a book who writes me a letter, please don't write me an encyclopedia. Write me and talk to me and ask me questions, and I'll put you on my mailing list. And when something really important happens or moves, I'll send it out to you. But write to me. I mean, reach out to me as I'm trying to reach out to you. That way we can stay informing each other. And those people who, who read the books knows what I'm doing and my issues and who I am and what I try to stand for and how I try to represent us. And that's as honest and as straightforward as I can be. And I only do this on Art Bell show. Uh, that's all. Well... 
Because other than that, they can get it in the bookstore. Yeah, exactly. All right, Dave. But my way of saying, hey, everybody, this is me. We're up together. We're looking and facing because we're listening to art. We know what his issues are, and they're the issues we're trying to deal with. And this is my way of saying, hey, as you reached out and touched me, I'm trying to reach out and touch you because we can collectively, as spiritual beings, in hours in the middle of the night, make decisions, form our thoughts, and move forward in changing the issues that are wrong in our eyes and supporting the things that we think are right in our eyes. We have accomplished this tonight. We've opened up a whole new way to look at what's going on with the Egyptian problem and the issues that are a lot of times on your show. We've incorporated your show and you into this to help try to create a forum that would present these issues so the world can decide. If this chamber is there, then the history of us, who we really are, and the ancients, whether it's extraterrestrials or Atlanteans, we're going to know that. And we're going to protect that. I think that's a monumental movement, Art. I'll tell you what. When we come back, I'm going to ask you exactly what you think it is. I I understand you don't know for sure. Ancients? Is it us? Aliens? What? Who was here before we were here? Or was it us? We'll ask when we come back. on the wild card line at 702-727-1295. That's 702-727-1295. First-time callers can reach Art Bell at 702-727-1222. 702-727-1222. Now, here again, Art Bell. My guest is Danian Brinkley. You should know Danian by his works. Saved by the light, at peace in the light, and I believe him to be. Next week, I'm going to interview the only politician I can stand to talk to anymore, Harry Brown, who is a libertarian. Now, I don't utterly agree with Harry Brown, as many of you know, but uh, he's got a lot to say about the recent uh, uh, marijuana Issue. As a matter of fact, I think I want to talk to Danian about that too. Danian, yes, sir. Um, Danian, there, uh, there's a strange thing that's gone on in California and Arizona. They voted, the voters of those states voted an initiative to allow the medicinal use of marijuana for people who are terminal. Um, now, there's controversy about it going beyond that, but people who are terminal with AIDS or cancer. Um, to be able to uh, use marijuana if it helps them. 
the federal government just uh, came down like a ton of bricks on these states and said, uh-uh, we will come in and enforce the laws. What do you think about that? Well, I think it's the stupidest thing the federal government can do. Because, once again, the government has decided, because it passed some laws in 1937 that says a natural weed that grows everywhere in the world that has no medicinal value up until 1937, from the beginning of time to 1937, yeah. this this product or this natural weed or plant, like every other plant or herb where most medicines come from, was used for certain things like glaucoma or blood pressure or nausea. Right. And then all of a sudden in 1930s, after whenever they repealed prohibition, they outlawed it and made it a controlled substance. And I believe that if the government because it's trying to keep in place whatever it thinks. I'm not a drug uh, supporter or a, you know, I'm not, you know, into that. That's people's business. But when you, as a, a general in the Army, because you have a job, and you're trying to perpetuate your little fiefdom mm-hmm. called the DEA or the Drug Enforcement Agencies, right. and you tell a doctor who has a patient who's puking and throwing up and chemotherapy and hair is falling out, then this doctor, I mean this general, ought to go through exactly what a patient is going through. When that doctor prescribes that, the the uh, doctor-patient physician and the physician who is trained knows more about what will help his patient find comfort and quiet health. And I deal with these issues in my palliative care all the time. I know you do. Chemo. So the day that a general who fights wars tells a doctor he'll put him in jail or take away his rights to prescribe something that that doctor feels is beneficial to his patient who is suffering, that will backfire. I know. I, you I can't think so, do too. That, and it's going to it'll create... Yeah. You leave doctors alone. Well, you know, they had the um, pomposity to say the other day that from Washington, the voters of California and Arizona had to have been, quote, asleep at the switch, end quote, when they voted for such a thing. <laughs> well, I'm like you about politicians, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm glad. But you see, anything that's natural, that grows, we have pharmaceutical companies that take, in, uh, take drugs and they take a plant and they synthesize the active ingredient in that plant, and then they sell it as a pill. Yeah. Okay. Whereas that you can take a natural substance, or which, which by the way, which, yep, which by the way is what they're defending. They're they're saying, uh, look, we uh, can synthesize these and indeed sell them to you. The people who are sick are saying, uh, uh-uh, it doesn't have the same effect of the natural substance. That's doing correct. It. That's exactly correct. Well, I believe this is what I believe because uh, I'm a believer in compatible and alternative therapies because it's what helped me stay alive. And the day that the government, the FDA and the NIH and, and all the, the codex system of the World Trade Organization, yep. which is outlawing all that, they have forgotten. We are not stupid. I grew up in the 60s. A lot of my friends smoked pot and did that stuff. They're not crazy. They're not out raping. They got them jobs at banks. I see people in my AIDS patients uh, who that are smoking pot. Yep. And they're not puking all over themselves, and they're able to, to converse with their families, 
and they're able to sit up in a chair. And some general who just got him a job in Washington, D.C., can tell him he's going to come take a doctor's rights away. I'll bet you this, Art. Doctors will prescribe it because they have a right as physicians in the Hippocratic Oath, as much as I dislike so many of them. They have the obligation to their patient to suffer whatever consequences. And I believe that we have begun a place that where people will react. Another point, too, that so many people who grew up in the 50s and 60s and 70s who are business people, they know what marijuana is. Sure. And it's not some horrendous drug that causes you to go blind and make you rape and rob. It's That's not right. heroin or stuff like that. They know how big an illusion it is. What I'm an advocate of is the truth. And they're not telling the truth about marijuana, and they're not, uh, in fact, generally telling the truth. Let's about go About anything. I know. Well, first, okay. time, first time caller line, you're on the air with Danian Brinkley. Hello. Hi, this is Deanne from San Diego. Hi, Deanne. And I agree with what you were just uh, discussing about marijuana. That's been a big issue here, and... Um, did you vote, Deanna? Uh, yes, I did. Were you I a, voted were you, for it. Were you asleep at the switch? Uh, right now? No, when you voted. Uh, no. No, you were informed, you were educated, and you were compassionate. And I also have seen firsthand experience with friends who have AIDS, and Me? they were given um, the tetracycline in a capsule, and it didn't help the nausea from the other medications, and the only thing that did help them was to actually smoke marijuana. Right. Have you uh, heard of Nightlights, the program that deals with hospice work in California? No, but I'm. that's one reason I'm calling is um, I'm actually calling from the platform of ignorance. I'm not familiar with you. You're This is the first time I've heard of you. Well, I'm nobody, but I'm a pretty fun guy. <laughs> yeah, you sound like it, and that's why I thought I'd maybe get you into a little debate here and kind of cheer you up, but um, the hospice is something I've always wanted to get involved in because I did... Um, years ago, I uh, worked for a respiratory care practitioner, and um, I had a lot of patients that were dying. I set them up on oxygen and everything, and, and it, you're right. It really uh, is very great. moving. You come, go, come back home. Come back home because I supported a group called Nightlights, which is people going, being around people and helping people with AIDS who have nothing. Mm -hmm. I am also support hospice. So in San Diego, I've helped set up a nightlights group, which is probably in the, uh, you can call for information. Okay. At nightlights and bring that practical experience back to someone, not some what some general in Washington is deciding. Right. But bring it back to loving our neighbors. Because just like you, I, I'm not an advocate of drugs. I'm not an advocate of any of that. I believe in alternative and compatible uh, therapeutic modalities. But I believe treatment. in compassion. Right. And I believe in when I've seen people throw up for three or four days on chemo mm -hmm. who are down to 60 pounds, who, yeah. who are taking 15 pills anyway, and then sit and smoke a joint and quit puking and be able to eat a meal and be able to talk to their moms and dads. And I'm listening to some guy say that they're evil and that they were asleep at the switch, I commend California. I commend Arizona. I commend Washington and Washington State initiating actions in dealing with HMOs and that compatible medicines have to be paid for. Mm -hmm. this well, is I, I thought it was a very progressive move um, on the 
part of the state, but no, now it seems as though the government is going to try to intimidate, <clears throat> excuse me, the physicians who actually do, you know, get involved with it. It and will backfire. I think when, so, too. When a doctor comes to the place mm -hmm. that he has to choose between some general and some bureaucracy in Washington and the quality of health care of his patient who's paying him, Mm -hmm. When he comes to there, if he sells out, we'll get rid of all of them. All right. If well, if he stands his ground, then we, the people who are the recipients of these alternatives and compatible therapies, will stand behind them, and we will vote whoever it is out of office who supports that, and we'll get people in there who understand this. This is where we are. This is what Art Show does, and this gives us a chance to speak in a forum. We may be, like Spiro Agnew said, the silent majority, but we're not silent anymore because these are our friends. Well, maybe, uh, Daniel, uh, they will find the next time they ask for our vote, we'll be asleep at their switch. And maybe we ought to go and give them two or three chemo treatments just for the hell of it. <laughs> Let them come home, the hair fall out and puke, and see if they want to join. Yeah. Not sit up and be intellectual and... Uh, and be a general fighting some kind of war. It's all right to fight drugs and cocaine smugglers and heroines and all that kind of crap. But wait a minute. This is something that grows naturally. Yeah. I heard a guy say that they were going to they were going to break marijuana at its source. Mm. That means they got to arrest God. So it'll be scorching Mother Earth, I guess. Well, no, what they got to do is arrest God. <laughs> oh. You know, if you're going to cut it off at the source, then know. who's the source of it? Uh, wild Card Line, you're on the air with Daniel Brinkley. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Art. Hi. Uh, my question is, who am I speaking with? This is Dean. Dean, where are you? I'm in uh, Ridgecrest. California. Okay. Hi, Dean. Hi. Um, my question is regarding the hospice also. Um I have I have an ill grandmother. Um, she's not she's just not doing well, and I'm a single father of three kids. And I I wondered if you had a book or if you could refer me to somewhere that I could get help, kind of like counseling for the kids to help them through it, because we're all not doing real good with it. Well, I have two really great books. One's called Saved by the Light. One's called It Peace in the Light. And, I mean, they're available. We've been talking about it. Right. There's other books that deal with it. There is On Death and Dying by Elizabeth Kubler-Roth. There is uh, Life After Life by Raymond Moody. There's Parting Visions by uh, Melvin Morris. Mm -hmm. And all of these books help people deal with it. This is all that I write about. I mean, okay. so, I mean, you know, uh, go to the bookstore. Okay, and I'll uh, get your address. You know, send me the money and I'll send you the book. Okay, uh, that. Remember this. When a person is in transition, they need love. I promise you this. When they leave this world, they go through what's called a near-death experience. The more you know about that, the more calm that the family can mm -hmm. make the decisions and be close to her. Remember, you will see her again, and it's only a very short trip that each of us take. Boy, isn't that the truth? There's a life after death. It's a wondrous and glorious life, and it ha it's filled with intrigue and growth there. But I tell you from one friend to another friend, when we get a chance to go home, the other day in, a, in an interview, 
a lady asked me, she said, my mother's dying and I can't deal with it. And I said, listen, think of it like this. What you are losing, heaven is gaining. Heaven is gaining. Who, where is the better place? And then the lady said, you know, I don't get any, I don't have any, uh, constant, you know, any consolement in that. She says, how do you find consolement in that you don't have your mother? I said, well, this is how I find consolement. I know, without any question, there's not one angel in heaven that has on dirty underwear. And heaven is the cleanest place in the entire world, huh. and my room is messy. So there are some consolations. And I try to say that in a humorous way. All right, do read his books. They really are good uh, and on target for you, Connor. All right, thank you very much. Thank you. And thanks for listening to Art, and thanks for calling. All right, East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Danyan Brinkley. Yes, hi. hi. Please don't cut me off. Why not Life After Life, Dr. Brinkley, instead of... Um, no, Danyan Brinkley. Yeah, Damien Brinkley. Life After Life is and versus, uh, Because you said it's another life experience, and it's like a contradiction. This is my first question. Another one is about Hillary Clinton in China. Okay. Okay. Well, first, Life After Life is Raymond's book, and mm -hmm. a near-death experience, because if I was dead, I would not have come back. Most of the time in my lectures, I call it a near-life experience, because I was as close to being alive on that side, more alive than I ever was on this side. Okay. Now, your predictions within the next two to three years of expansion, does that have anything to do with your health, and do you practice um, healing of the body? Oh, yes. I deal with uh, alternative and compatible. I deal with energy medicines. It's how I was, uh, it's how I've lived for now 21 years. Okay. The, um, Hillary Clinton, a gentleman called um, Art Bell and said that he saw her with a white dress on in China. Do you think she has access to the chambers in the pyramid in China? Mm. No. Uh, what about Dr. Elbach? Do you think by chance he has the actual um, Hall of Records from 19, back in 1967? Uh, I don't believe that because I can't find anything that documents it. But I believe that people on many dimensions, mm -hmm. not necessarily the physical dimension, are already accessing those records. Okay. My prediction is cyberspace is the light of the truth. And we are looking for the truth, and the politicians and the government is going to be totally upset, especially when the stock market crashes. Right. It's going every cyberspace are going to try and do something to that, but it's not going to work. And when they change the justice system, the um, non nonviolent drug offenders, the, um, they will be released. All right. Well, we'll hold it there. Uh, interesting comment she made about cyberspace. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that, uh, Danian? It is a strange. Oh, it is the. It, cyberspace, uh, that term where it's called, where we deal with uh, neurons and we enter the world of where the brain and the heart and the soul. Time Magazine just did an article on how cyberspace is, uh, the Internet is changing the way we see ourselves spiritually. It sure is. I believe that it is the medium of the future. I just saw a, uh, a report on technology where, because of computers, and if you read in my books, I write about computer chips and biogenetic technologies. <clears throat> I just <clears throat> read an article on a program <clears throat> where when a person touches each other because of the auric field, that the computer will be able to transmit information from one person to another person by the use of those subtle energy fields. I believe that 
the great frontier will be cyberspace. I believe that the government will have to do everything in its power to try to control it and yep. regulate it. Exactly I believe right. that those who V-chips, and you will watch one of the next big issues with this new FCC person that's coming in with the Federal Communications Commission, this person will push V-chip technology, which is uh, to be able to control, or the FBI be able to tap anything to take control or to be able to control people's access to the information. But it won't work. The only thing you can do is turn off the electricity. And if you get one of those uh, radios that uh, Art's been talking about that you can crank up <laughs> and right. wind, they can't even turn the electricity <laughs> off. So I, too, believe the government will make an attempt, and I even think I know how, uh, to control, regulate the Internet, shut it down if necessary. Uh, a quick release of something that seemed to be uh, threatening to national security on the Internet would bring screams for regulation that would make your hair curl. But in the end, I think it is um, quickly becoming too big for them to ever control. Or anyone. Or anyone to ever control. I agree with that. Yeah. And remember, first, first they tried pornography. All right. Then they tried uh, to control freedom of speech. The next becomes national security. Right. Remember, the Internet was created as an interactive uh, telecommunication systems between intelligence agencies in the uh, late 60s and early 70s. When you had, That's this right. is where the Internet came from. That's correct. It was a college, anyone who was doing defense research or technology funded by one of the black uh, uh, programs, they had an interconnecting system that they called, I forgot the name of it, but it is where the Internet came from. So it began as an intelligence organization, which I think is really wondrous. That, it is. Uh, the government actually... Of, of free speech and uh, open, open conversation and communication, which now has brought information out of the, the Balkan regions. And when they shut down all forms of communication, they forgot that faxes and uh, the Internet existed and we knew what was going on. And then the mainstream media had to bring it back. Daniel, Daniel, that's it. We've done the whole show. We're out of time. Program's ending. My friend, I can't thank you enough for being here this morning. I can't thank you enough for allowing me to be on this show for as long without throwing me off. <laughs> Our paths, as you know, will cross again soon, Daniel. So yes, it's sir. not goodbye, but uh, I'll see you soon. And I'd like to tell everybody that I love them very much, and please tell everybody about the Art Bell Show. Good night, Daniel. Good morning, Art. <laughs> Take care. That's it, folks. To get a copy of this program, it's five hours. Call 1-800-917-4278. That's 1-800-917-4278. Whitley Strieber, Dreamland Sunday. Good night. Good night.